0: Today's special bonus premium episode of the Directors Club podcast is presented by Audible. That's audible.com. You can now listen to ebooks via MP3 player, earbud Bluetooth, and the iPod Pro. Please visit audible.com. That's Audible. A U D I B L E.
1: Welcome, everyone, to our film discussion on the year 27 AD. My name is Patrick Rapole, And my name is Jim Laskowski. Oh, it's so good to see you again, Patrick.
0: I'm really looking forward to talking mise-en-scene with you today
1: in front of our USB ball microphones here in the garage. Me too, Jim. Me too. It's a lovely day here in the garage, and what a terrific show we have in store for all of those of you who are listening today Mm. right now. (laughs) Movies. (laughs) movies. <laughs> Personally, I think movies are great, and people need to know about the ones we enjoyed looking at this past year with our eyes and ears. Yes, yes. Movies are, you know,
0: kind of a dying art form. Podcasting too. I think a movie podcast discussion is a great idea, and I look forward to seeing where the coffee field conversation <laughs> takes us today. <laughs> okay. All right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, let's begin.
0: (laughs) Infatuation has got its claws, and you're a fighter. You never
1: bust You got your head When you return Then you bend over And flex your back
0: Welcome, everybody, to the Directors Club podcast. I am Jim Laskowski.
1: and I am Patrick Rapoll. We are the interlopers who have s- sort of taken the yeah. uh, feedback from the its rightful hosts. I hope people remember us that 's right it 's been a bit
0: yeah it it's sure has been a
1: bit, but we always had a lot of fun doing these end of the year episodes, so we mm-hmm, decided mm-hmm. let 's do another one yeah it was it was an interesting year we 're going to
0: talk about it at length here um, You know, I I don't know. Patrick, it's interesting just to think about, you know, time and time again. I know that normally we focus – we have in the past at least focus on older films. You know, anything that sort of comes out in Criterion or whatnot, uh, you know, it's just – you know, looking – I've become a film critic more or less.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, it should be more because you're part of the uh, the association, I, right? Yeah, the
0: Chicago Film Critics Association. I mentioned that when um, I was uh, – my last appearance here on Directors Club. And, you know, I'm sort of now not necessarily obligated, but I I do have to watch – a wide variety of screeners and newer films that have come out in the year. Sure. To to vote on what I think is some are some of the best, and that's a few of those things will be mentioned in our subcategories, mm-hmm. where we uh, you know sort of review, uh, you know like
1: best actor, best actress, and that you know sort of like our own version of the Oscars, I guess you could say. That's absolutely right. But before we can even do that, we have to set up what a 2017 movie is because movies have weird staggered release dates. They, true, true. They have festival dates, and then they have commercial release limited, and then they open wide. And we sort of are in different situations, and we have access to different movies. So we thought we should just set up what each of our, like, what we consider 2017 movies. Now, for me, I'm not a film critic. I, uh, I'm i not attending festivals or anything. So uh, I am considering only 2017 commercial releases, except... That I, w- I did work for uh, Voices and Visions to do some coverage of the Apocalypse uh, genre film festival. Oh, that right. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, what was that, early November, late October? Yeah, yeah, that was that was a treat. I, I had a lot of fun I, there. I had a lot of fun doing that, and so I have some of my movies in my top 25 and in my top 10 are from that Apocalypse film festival, and one of them in my top 10 has not had a proper commercial release. But everything else is... Uh, stuff that has come out in 2017 What about for you?
0: Well, like I mentioned I have to, you know, watch A, a wide variety of films Including some, you know Some obscure titles that maybe have only played Cannes or the Toronto Film Festival And, you know, I get, I get sent to them as, you know, as screeners and whatnot Towards the end of the year, like around Thanksgiving And uh, you know, I, I try to watch as many as I can. I, I didn't get to see every little thing um, that's come out, and you know, there's certainly some titles that have played like New York or LA that you know I haven't gotten to. But uh, I, you know, a proper 2017 release, I, I would say anything that's you know listed under IMDb or Box Office Mojo or one of those places, whatever is considered a 2017 release, I try to abide by. But I even recently realized that letterbox is a uk based site and if you look to them their year of release is very different mm-hmm. more more or less like I, I even know split which is considered a 2017 release is actually for them a 2016 release for mm-hmm. some reason
1: and all well they also go with uh, festival dates oh okay so yeah. so if it played there are movies that we don't actually get to see you know i think like it follows played festivals 2 years before right. it had its commercial yeah, release yeah, yeah. um so so that is sort of what our qualifying thing for uh, what we consider 2017 movies. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get out in front and disqualify one movie that I've seen that I saw that I absolutely loved, but it's it's hard to call it a movie. So, oh hello there on Broadway is on ah. Netflix. It's basically just a filmed Broadway performance of John Mullaney and Nick Kroll's uh, show, uh, off Broadway show or maybe on Broadway show. Uh, I guess title it's on broadway um but it's it's absolutely hilarious it's a parody of like theater conventions um it's really just hysterical i had more fun with it it would have been my number 3 of 2010 uh, uh of my top 10 cuz i had more fun with it than i had pretty much any movie i saw this year but it's it's like not really a movie and i wouldn't really want to talk about it here either cuz it would just be me listing jokes but uh yeah, yeah. if you get a chance Oh Hello There on Broadway is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it would be a a very interesting show
0: if we were to sort of integrate the way some people have like Netflix uh, releases and Mm -hmm. specials. I mean, some of them, I mean, obviously this... a lot of people are talking about this Will Smith monstrosity, Bright, right. as a, you know, as a release on Netflix. And I mean, obviously, there are movies that from from that I mean, might
1: have been my number one, but I'm waiting until
0: Christmas to watch it. Oh, I see. Very yeah. good, very good. Um, Next Christmas, but Am- Amazon- I want I to age <laughs> Amazon cast aged fucking Max Landis scripts. But like, Go ahead, uh, Hulu. I mean, there's so many miniseries too, like. The Handmaid's Tale, Um, and certainly... That's not an ongoing series? That was a mini? Maybe it is an ongoing series. I don't know. I thought it it was a mini-series, but maybe now, due to its success, it could be expanded. Uh, Under the dome
1: situation. Yeah,
0: very much so. Um, And I have yet to see something like... um, Uh, 2017 has
1: kind of uh, (laughs) felt like an under-the-dome situation. A little bit. Oh, no, we're trapped here with (laughs) madmen. Yeah,
0: that's sad but true. If uh, we were to get into a political discussion, we might just, like, jump off the roof. Absolutely. But, Um, uh, you know, thankfully there there was a lot of good content out there, and I was glued every Sunday night to – well, I guess through 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 Amazon, you know, I, I subscribed to Showtime and got to see something like Twin Peaks, the the latest season absolutely. in its entirety, which was like a roller coaster ride. Yes. Like I I would say some episodes I absolutely loved and thought were some of the strongest things I'd seen in a long time. Some episodes I couldn't stand. So
1: it was like a David Lynch experience. Yes, that's <laughs> I, I I could only follow it secondhand through uh, social media. I didn't actually get to see it yet. But, um, well, if you want to borrow it, I can give it to you. No, I'm I'm getting my own copy because I have the I have the original series and the uh, and the film, so I'm I'm probably going to end up just buying it anyway because I want to just watch it all in one go. But yeah, like, you should. It, it definitely. I don't. I have no confidence that it's going to be my sort of thing because I'm not as hot on David Lynch as A lot of people, but uh, I had I was at least very relieved that it seemed to be like oh, it's not just a bullshit reunion show. It is. It's not a thoroughly batshit crazy. Like it is a. It is a David Lynch thing. Yeah, and you're it, not <laughs> including that as a film.
0: Like before we started recording and started talking a little bit about Star Wars: The Last Jedi and how Ryan Johnson kind of subverted a lot of people's expectations or sort of crushed their um, like romanticizing of Star Wars and, and the characters from from the previous trilogy. Um, I would say David Lynch kind of did that Mm -hmm. (laughs) with Twin Peaks this latest season uh, throughout. And it's, I'm not including it on, on my list. But um, certainly, like there are segments on there that I'll never forget, and sure. with imagery that you will never see any other place. So, it's worth seeing. Please do check out the Twin Peaks yeah. and on, season. On, the,
1: on that front, I am including uh, Errol Morris's Wormwood because yeah, I've that yet did, to finish it, I want to that did play theatrically, and I think it's kind of done a disservice if you watch it like as a show. Um, I think I think that works to that works better as a unified experience. Mm. Um, we'll talk more about Wormwood later, but I am including that on my list. Now, there are movies that qualify that I just didn't get a chance to see. Um, I I feel like I've seen the majority of 2017 releases, um, to where I don't know if there's, like, any major, Mm -hmm. uh, title. Well, if any of these titles, uh, jump out at you, and, and possibly you might consider some of these 2016 releases because they played festivals in 2016, but these are, by my standards, 2017 movies that I didn't see, um... The post and the Phantom Thread. I'm not a film critic, so I, they're technically twenty. That that tendency of like, oh, it's technically a 2017 movie because it opened in a theater in New York, and then it opened like mid-January. Like, that's it's ridiculous to me. But well, I, technically, the Phantom Thread did play once. at it, the that a- was that was that's that was not a commercial yeah, screening. I know,
0: I know. Well, I mean, I don't. It's funny because like, I mean, it was open to the public. It wasn't like a critic screening where they have. You know, certain but section blocked off. Screening. Yeah, yeah, more or less. They used to do those all the time. Like that's how I saw. I think they still do. I still get. Oh, really? I still get messages in my email every oh, okay. day for
1: new advanced screenings. Yeah, I, used like to, I
0: saw Ground Day when it first opened
1: a week before everyone mm-hmm. else did. Uh, you know, it's like just a regular audience screening. Yeah, and that's kind of what this was. But um, so these are yeah. By the way, these are only the movies I didn't see that I think could make my top twenty-five. There's a mm. plenty of movies that I didn't see for a reason. Um, so The Post and The Phantom Thread, uh, The Vietnam War I by uh, Ken Burns. Oh, yeah. I I got I, I watched the first six episodes. Um, the library breaks it up and broke it up into two volumes. Uh, it's a 10-episode thing. I think that definitely would have made my top 25, but not too high on there because Errol uh, – not Errol Morris. Uh, uh, Ken, Ken Burns, Burns is kind of a centrist. Like, there's stuff – like, he does a – I watched, you know, eight feature-length episodes on the history of the Vietnam War – and he had not brought up the military-industrial complex once. Hmm. He kind of is way too uh, credulous towards the good intentions of American leaders in general like throughout his work. Um, so, But I did think it was an extraordinary thing, especially all of the interviews they have with people who are there. Not just American soldiers, but North Vietnamese and South Vietnamese soldiers. Um, it's an incredible thing. Uh, I, Daniel Blake... I did not see. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I saw that.
1: Um, Ex Libris, the uh, uh, Frederick Wiseman film. I do need to see that. Yeah. Uh, Rat Film. I forget the director of that one, but that was a... A, a very interesting documentary I didn't get a chance to see. We'll
0: be talking about that in um,
1: Speaking of interesting documentaries, Casting John Benet, the uh, Netflix uh, documentary.
0: Oh, yeah. That was like Amy
1: Nicholson's
0: number one film of the year. So yeah. I,
1: mean, I, I better see that. Too. It sounded really interesting, but I just didn't see it. Uh, the Shape of Water. I'm not a big Guillermo del Toro guy, but uh, it, I've heard things about it that made me think it, I might like it more than a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Um, Faces Places, uh... I know, everyone told me this, that I would love it, and I have yet to see it. So, so that's yeah. definitely on my list. Uh, the new Coriata film, After the Storm, it was on Net, uh, Amazon Prime, and I just... Oh, right, yeah. ...didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, On the Beach at Night Alone by Hong Sang-soo, I don't think that got any kind of commercial release in America. No,
0: I definitely would have seen that. Um...
1: Your Name, the uh, new film from the director of Wolf Children and The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. That's
0: making a lot of lists, and I've, I need to see that, Yeah, too. I
1: watched the first, like, 40 minutes, and I was just not in the mood for it. Um, but I, It's I, like body swapping kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, it, it's, right? it's a very cute sort of a thing. I'm assuming it gets better as it goes on, but I just okay. was not in the right mood. Uh, the Work, which is that uh, a documentary about therapy in prison. Oh, well, I should see that for sure. Um, Super Dark Times, which I know you were a fan yes, of. Yes, yes, that was very good. Uh, Brawl in Cellblock 99. I just did not make the effort to... I, I had heard things about it. I was just like not interested, really. But It's, um, it's
0: really good. But it's very long. Yeah. Well, that's not It shouldn't be two hours and 15 minutes.
1: Right. Um, Happy Death Day I heard uh, very good things about. And I had some good experiences with mainstream horror comedies this year. So I have no reason to think I wouldn't have enjoyed that. You will. Um, You will. There's a Portuguese film called The Ornithologist, which seemed very interesting. um, Don't don't know about that That I just haven't seen. Uh, Raw, that French horror film. Oh, it's so good. I didn't see that one. Um, Beach Rats, which is... uh, uh gay movie set in Brooklyn or Coney Island. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it seemed interesting, but I just didn't get a chance to see it. And it comes at night. Um, oh,
0: yeah, you should... I've,
1: that's that's a good one. It's definitely a good one. Yeah, so um, those are the ones I didn't see. Dishonorable mention to Wonder Woman and Logan, which are two movies that I watched like the first 40 minutes of because people said, you know, these movies, they're not like every other superhero movie. These superhero movie. Movies, these movies are different. Are different. I... Because And this is my, on me. This is not on them. They obviously can see why it's a different kind of superhero movie because they watch a lot of superhero movies. But I hate superhero movies and I watched them and I thought they were both terrible. I thought Logan... Was just a boring ass superhero movie about the most boring superhero. Wolverine is a terrible character. Wow. So I will say that I liked Logan. Um, Wonder Woman was it might okay. get better. I I but thought all a- of this stuff with Professor X and everything was just like oh just get on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe Logan gets better. Wonder Woman I, it does
0: suffer from what we love to what we used to call in the past is like sort of the bullshit climax where it's like let's just throw the villain in and have a bunch of cgi sort of confrontation with with the hero and it's really just a bunch of noise and a bunch of effects and a bunch of you know throwing things around into buildings and i just i get i'm desensitized by Mm -hmm. that and even even spider-man homecoming i i tried to sit through it and i remember falling asleep and just kind of being numb from the experience like it's got a nice sense of humor it's playful it's silly it's light on its feet but um i just don't care i just i can't I can't invest my energy into superhero films because they are all the same. Yeah. And I know James Mangold, who did Logan, is like kind of. He's, he's got on a high horse about, like, well, I tried to make a very different superhero movie. Yeah. And I'm trying to branch out and get beyond all these horrible superhero movies. He says movies.
1: fucking it's violent is, like, not to me yeah, yeah, any yeah. sign that... Because, like, have you read comic books? Like, there was a period in the 90s where that was everything, and that stuff all sucked. Yeah.
0: Well, it's a Western, and, I I mean, it's fine for what it is. And, I you know, I got a little emotional at the end, but it's not like... It's not breaking new ground in the way that some people, like some people said, it's the greatest comic book movie ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no. Spider Man 2 is. Put it, put it, put it in, you know, put, write that in cement somewhere. Mm hmm.
1: So. I, might, I might find my own <laughs> wet cement to write my own okay. greatest comic book movie. I'm not a I'm what, not the what, is, fan of what, what is Spider-Man your 2? favorite
0: comic book movie, Patrick? I, I guess I never know. thought of that before.
1: History of Violence. Like, I don't fucking oh, okay. know. Like, I, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how much I like History of Violence now. I really like The Dark Knight. I really like. Um,
0: I thought you didn't. Oh, maybe no, you, you I, do like The Dark Knight. I like Knight. The Dark okay.
1: Knight. Okay, well. It's Batman Begins. You don't like. I I hate Batman Begins, and I think The Dark Knight is overrated generally. But right. I do really like The Dark Knight in a way I don't like most superhero movies. It's funny because I'm going to rewatch all three now. Tank that Girl, maybe Tank Girl. Tank Girl would probably a, be my that movie is especially. not good, but like I love Tank Girl. Yeah, I um, like
0: I like how it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't take itself too seriously. And,
1: right. You know, it's it's fun. Oof, Rachel Talele. you uh, well, not the greatest director in the world. All right, any she's any actually rate, coming to Chicago re- for what? sometime
0: soon. I don't know. Um, oh, you got to talk to her. I th- yeah, I do. I want to talk to her. you gotta to got to talk to her about, about all those Freddy's John Waters movies that Freddy's she worked dead. on. Yeah. Lisa Zane and Freddy's Dead. I'm like...
1: You gotta love Freddy's Dead. Come I on. saw Freddy's Dead this year in the uh, last year in theaters. Oh, that's right. But yeah. you, I thought you said you fell asleep. I passed and- out. Oh. I passed out. It was programmed I the in the 3D. A poor time. I missed the 3D section at the end. We are getting way off topic. That's okay. It happens. Um, I'm sure people want that. There might be us. some more movies coming up <laughs> that you didn't see that you've forgotten you didn't see. Yeah, it. that's true. You'll that, bring it up. I mean- but is there anything that you want to say right now?
0: Um well I mentioned them when you mentioned them. <laughs> okay, but <laughs> is there anything
1: much. I didn't mention that?
0: I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. It's not yeah, I mean because like I tried to see a lot more I mean there's probably oh BPM. BPM is a, a French movie that's made a lot of top ten lists mm-hmm. and I know Bill's a fan, Bill Ackerman. Yeah. And uh I, I I do have it as a screener and I've yet to watch it. But okay. I will. But I will. Um I've heard great
1: things. So let's get into the awards. Oh boy. Um, we have a list of sort of categories here that we've uh, written up awards for. I could not necessarily think these are these are a list of awards that we came up with like late November, mm-hmm. um, after I had seen most of my movies for 2017. So like I there are a lot I could not think of. So but we'll get to it as we get to it. Uh, Jim, why don't you why don't you start us off?
0: Oh, I always like to start on a high note. Uh, sure. With Hardest you laughed, <laughs> and I know we're not including Oh Hello on Broadway because there's many moments in that that are right, hilarious. Yeah, that probably be mine. But um, <laughs> a lot of lines. I know you weren't as crazy about this movie, um, and it's it's it didn't make my top twenty five uh, upon a rewatch. However, there are many lines in The Big Sick. Mm-hmm. They're uh, uh, particularly having lunch with the parents. Um, played by Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. And and Ray Romano's sort of, you know, tr- kind of trademark deadpan delivery of certain lines is quite funny. Um, he's good in that movie. Yeah, he's very good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at one point he asks uh, Kumail Nanjiani about uh, 9-11. <laughs> and, you know, Kum- Kumail's response is you know um, how do I feel about nine eleven? Well, we lost a lot of good men that day. Yeah,
1: it's tragedy. <laughs> we lost twelve of our best guys. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And, he- al- and also Ray Romano also like it later. I think it's later in the film. Goes. It's why I don't go on the internet. You go on there and people hate Forrest Gump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot. There's a lot in Big Sick that really made me laugh. Mm-hmm.
1: I think my favorite moment in The Big Sick is. Uh, is Ray Romano freaking out at the guy at the comedy club saying, this yeah. ele- This elevator yeah. goes all the way fucking down <laughs> yeah. or something like that. That's right. Yeah, that Ray that's Romano great, was too. the highlight of that movie for me. For sure, um, for sure. I'd say the hardest I laughed was the entire sort of pickpocket sequence in the square. Um, yeah. The, fir- the opening scene where, where he's so getting his uh, pockets picked was just a hilarious escalation after escalation and mm-hmm. turn and subversion. But if I can include the entire fallout out from that up to him, like sending, putting flyers in all the apartments. I I was just dying pretty much that entire stretch of the movie. Yeah, that um, that whole stretch is pretty great. Ruben Ostlin really has my number as far as that kind of comedy goes. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I was really into that.
0: I, I do. I, I also like the, the the moment involving trying to retrieve a condom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's also very funny. And um, the newspaper headline towards the end of Staying Vertical.
1: Oh yes. No, no, yeah. absolutely. That would yeah. that would be a runner-up for sure. That's that new yes. that, we'll talk about that later. Okay, what's next? Uh, Best Use of a Song. That's right.
0: You know, I'm not the biggest Dave Matthews fan, but I I, I now really do appreciate the song Crash. That is thanks a, to Ladybird.
1: Yeah, that is a really that that's a really good one. That was I was really leaning towards that, but when I thought about it. I really do love, as much as the movie was a, kind of a disappointment for me. I really do love the opening of Baby Driver, and I think the use of Bell Bottoms by the oh. John Spencer Blues Explosion and that opening—it's an amazing proof of concept—and then the rest of the movie just kind of doesn't make good on that. I, I most, I liked the majority of it, of course, but mm-hmm. yeah, I would say you know fairly
0: consistently, the use of music in that is very good, very, that very. I,
1: good. Uh, what is that? What is that song that the, the foot chase is also very good? Yeah. I had it. Um, I had it written down at some point, and now I no longer do. It's not Jethro Tull or something. No, is it? what no. Is, yeah. it's got a weird. It's a weird band name. Yeah, it's yeah, hard yeah. to Google. I think it's like a preposition or something is the band name. Right. Um, but at any rate, that was my best use of a song. Best line of dialogue.
0: Um, I really do love towards the end of the film, Lucky, what Harry Dean Stanton sort of relays to everybody in the bar about how it's all going to go away. You 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 me this cigarette everything into blackness the void nobody's in charge and you're left it was there's a german term and he says and you're left with
1: unguts mhm i think that was an italian term maybe you're right i think cuz he was talking about nothing Un-gots, i think un-gots. yeah i think that's an italian okay. i've heard it on sopranos at the very least oh okay yeah um, yeah but no i
0: mean like that a, a lot of things that Harry Dean Stan—I I know you're not the biggest—you're a fan, but not to the right. degree I'm, that yeah, I am. Not a
1: die-hard part yeah. of it, like sort of. But is a lot of things, he, a lot
0: of things he said, in there, you know, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily 100% uh, agree with the philosophy. However, it still hit me hard mm-hmm. just hearing it coming from him.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't have one for this one because I just couldn't remember it. But I'm pretty sure my favorite line of dialogue happened during Lady Bird because I just love Greta Gerwig's dialogue, and yeah. that movie yeah, yeah, is full yeah. of. Really specific phrasing that is just brilliant, but I just don't have one for very true, very true. And
0: that, that Lady Bird and uh, a Quiet Passion, there's a lot, a lot of very memorable dialogue Mm -hmm. that I couldn't
1: remember. (laughs) Quiet Passion (laughs) is another one I didn't see this year. Yes. Um, what's next?
0: Best acting newcomer. Um, I do have a tie for this one. And it's it's for a film again that's sort of more towards the, the the bottom in terms of honorable mentions and runners up. Didn't make my top twenty five. Um, it's the leads from a movie called Princess Sid, which was actually filmed not too far from here, in and around Evanston, or at least in Edgewater and on the North Side. Um, Jesse Pinnick and Rebecca Spence they play uh, an aunt and niece, and the, the niece comes to visit the aunt. Um, just just sort of to get away from from her mother for a while and sort of has just like an interesting coming-of-age experience. So it's, again, much like Lady Bird or Edge of Seventeen Princess, it is just another extremely well-observed coming-of-age story from a female perspective. Mm -hmm. And so both of those leads are great.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't have one for this either because I just I – I mean, I was thinking of doing a joke answer and saying Adam Sandler because Meyerowitz stories <laughs> is the first time I've, like, seen him actually act. Like, I like him in Punch Drunk Love, but Punch Drunk Love is kind of a movie that just works around the thing sure, he does. Sure, sure, sure. He doesn't really feel like he's giving a full performance in Punch Drunk Love. Um in, in Meyerowitz stories, I thought he was really, really good. Same. Um, and it was very shocking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be thinking about that, about Adam Saylor. To, like, sit down and watch the new Adam Saylor Netflix movie and be like, oh, wow, Adam Saylor's a good actor. That's a weird thing to comprehend. True. But uh, I don't really have another – like, I think uh, – timothy chalamet's fine like you know there's, yeah 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 no he's great. um but there's no one really blew me away like i i realized finally that saoirse ronan i'd been watching saoirse ronan for years and years but i just like would forget it was saoirse ronan so like i saw hannah and loved hannah and then i forgot it that that was saoirse ronan mm-hmm. and i saw brooklyn and i'm like oh she's very charming and i forgot about brooklyn and then i saw ladybird i'm like wait who is this person <laughs> and then i went back but it's not really a newcomer by any means. She's the nominated I twice. Guess it, I
0: guess it is a breakthrough, but I mean, I guess people would consider Brooklyn the breakthrough. Maybe.
1: Or, well, or, or Atonement. Atonement. I or mean, Atonement. She was yeah, nominated. Like, yeah, she. No, watch. she's she's she done broke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at any rate, I don't have one for that. So what's the next one? Best Ensemble. Why don't you go first this time? I think I think that there's only one choice for this one. It's three billboards outside of Billings, Missouri. Uh, agreed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, Ebbings, Missouri. Ebbings. There yes, we go. Yes. For I, sure. Um, and next up, oh, I forgot to write this one. I forgot to put this one down.
1: Most nail-biting moment. What do you have? I have, I got, I might have to the entire it. second half of the movie The Crescent, which is a movie oh, I saw at yeah, an I Apocalypse. I will talk more about The Crescent later. The second half of that movie is fucking insane. Okay. Um, and it... Yeah, I'll what talk more about that movie of, What later. kind of a release does it have? Is I it, 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 it played at TIFF. I know that because okay. Brian Tallarico reviewed it for TIFF and he fucking hated it. Or I don't know if he reviewed it, but he huh. vlogged it on Letterboxd and he hates it. Um, Interesting. And then it played at Sin Apocalypse. It'll probably be on VOD some point this year.
0: I guess the only the one that's coming to me off the top of my head would be um, a, a dinner party, a very prolonged dinner party moment in the, the square Involving a gentleman who just sort of comes in and disrupts oh sure everything, sure. and to me, like I don't know what's going to happen. Um, it felt like it went on forever, but I was like really g- like I was kind of grabbing my seat while this thing was going on. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are v- way better examples mm-hmm. of suspenseful moments of the year, but I think, to, I that think one just, was really I think,
1: interesting. I think I had a similar reaction to like a lot of Dunkirk.
0: yeah, 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 yeah. no there's, there's some, there's some oh, yeah, there's some definitely insane yeah. moments in that. Uh, what's next? I can't give this one. I guess I can't give this one away, but it's best director.
1: That's right. I didn't include this one because for me, best director equals best, best picture. Girl. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm just gonna Same. save that. Best actor. What a shock. Now, now, I'm now <laughs> talking about uh, categories I don't do. Now I'm just being obstinate, but I really am against gendering uh, acting awards because it it's not okay. it's not tennis. There's no reason why like an actor and actress couldn't go head to head. Um, I agree. I like, mean, that's... that's... I, I understand. Like, on on the scale of, like, the Academy Awards or something, it's good that they gender it because then it gives traditionally uh, sexist, like, Hollywood studios, an ex- like, a reason to make films with strong female leads and stuff. That's true. But, like... So, like, I, I think, like, for the business of film, like, it's good that acting awards are gendered. But, like, for me personally, I don't think in that way. Okay. So, I have... I mean... So I just have Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor, and they are all women. So, so, Ooh, okay. so, go, ahead, so okay. go ahead, go ahead with yours. Well,
0: I mean, I think I think he's been extraordinary throughout his entire career, and this may not be like the ultimate great performance, but it's certainly one that I, I think is a you know, if he chooses to actually retire the way he's saying he's going to, I think Daniel Day Lewis went out on a very high note. And uh, not in the same way that you would expect, and also, you know, he's not being over the top, loud, crazy, campy. There will be blood, Kings in New York. Daniel Day yeah, Lewis. It, it
1: feels more Age of Innocence. Daniel Day Lewis. Yes, yes, and I
0: do like that 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 tone that he strikes. I'm excited so, to see it.
1: Yes. Um, for me, I have sort of a, th- a three away tie. I just couldn't decide yeah. uh, between Kristen Stewart, Sir Ronan, and Francis McDormand. Very good. I thought I just Those thought they all were all so amazing. And then also, if I if I am going to gender it out, just so I can give him a shout out, uh, Daniel K- Kaluuya in oh, for, uh, yeah. Get Out yeah, 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 is yeah, yeah. amazing. Yes, um,
0: I just rewatched. Um Sicario, because I got I got a 4K TV. I didn't mention that. Oh sure, and you're like, <laughs> so and
1: you're I like, got to rewatch give me, everything. Now. Give me the Deacons. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Oops, sorry, hit my yeah, microphone there.
0: That's okay. Um, so yeah, I, I I didn't realize he was in that, and at the beginning. Well, yeah, like, I, mean, I back he's then he so was. Good.
1: Back then it was just like, oh yeah, he's just this actor who came in. Yeah, in, don't know who he is, but yeah, yeah but no, he's man, great in Sicario for sure. Um, I I too
0: have a three way tie. Between um, Francis McDormand, Cynthia Nixon for A Quiet Passion. Oh, yes, yes. And newcomer, I guess this sh- no, wait, this should be my best newcomer, <laughs> duh, um, Vicky Kreps for Phantom Thread. Okay. I have no idea where she came from, but she is w- going to be one to watch mm-hmm. for the future, for sure.
1: Best Supporting Actor? I get, like, if I was thinking throughout the year, I'd probably have a lot of uh, ideas, but I just couldn't think of anything. Um, thinking like late November, so Laurie Metcalf is the one I came up with.
0: Yeah, and and both 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 best supporting actor and actress for me are, are likely could, could very well be the award winners, um, Willem Dafoe and Laurie Metcalf. So uh-huh. that's I mean to me like they're they're the examples the, the epitome of supporting mm-hmm. performances that aren't necessarily very showy like. I think Willem Dafoe is kind of playing a nice version of Willem Dafoe, and he's just doing it so mm-hmm. effortlessly that you don't even think about it as acting. It's just naturalistic, and yeah. I, I love that about both of them in, in both of those. I, movies. I only
1: saw the Florida Project uh, yesterday, and we'll talk about Willem Dafoe in that movie. I don't. Th- I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not saying I disagree with you, but like I am. I'm. I am curious what your thoughts are about his role in that movie. But we can. We can move on. Okay.
0: To best score, which is definitely for me the hardest one to mm-hmm. pick, so I had to go with five. <laughs> go with yeah, uh, a ghost story, Dunkirk, Good Time, Phantom Thread, and Blade Runner twenty forty nine.
1: Yeah, for me, I was I'm not a big Hans Zimmer guy, but Hans Zimmer, I would, the only two choices I could think of were Dunkirk. And Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and for a long time, I had Blade Runner twenty forty nine as my top one. But then I rewatched Dunkirk, and I was like, "Oh, this is actually like I know Hans Zimmer is kind of just like bludgeoning you with sound. Like, yeah, it's not it, it's not very melodic, but like Dunkirk takes it so far, and it matches the way that film is just sort of bludgeoning you and like stripping out story and character.
0: Yeah, it's almost it,
1: like a silent movie.
0: As I'm watching, like. Yeah, there hardly is any dialogue. Mm-hmm. I mean Kenneth Branagh is a lot, but that's about it.
1: Right. There was yeah, I was excited to watch it with subtitles because I was like, oh, I'll finally get to understand like what Kenneth Branagh is saying. And yeah. it did like clarify some things uh as far as what the mole is. Um but uh the yeah, the the score for Dunkirk is like shaker loops. Like it's like John Adams, like this minimalist classical sort of thing where it's like bum, 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 and it's like endlessly I really enjoyed the score
0: for Dunkirk. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I heard a couple of people say on different podcasts that they thought it was Trent Reznor
1: at first, and I was like, I, oh yeah. I, I guess Speaking I can hear that. Speaking of which, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score for the Vietnam War is. I've very heard, good.
0: yeah, I've heard that's great. So mm-hmm. I, I should listen to that. But no, this it was a good year for scores.
1: Yeah, I couldn't. It I couldn't, really was. Those were the only two I, that jumped out at me. But again, maybe if I had been thinking about it all year, I would have had more examples. Best screenplay. Staying, well, staying vertical. Okay,
0: that's a good choice.
1: Um, I think I think the structure of that movie is brilliant and inventive and hilarious, uh, and the tone it strikes. Uh, the it's when you think of best screenplay, it's often like what movie has the best dialogue is how. Usually, I'll usually I'll I, this. I do. Yeah, but I was just thinking about like the story it tells and how it tells the story. Like, uh, it, there's nothing going on in "Staying Vertical" visually that. You wouldn't get on the page, like right, I, th- I think. I right. think I think that, and it's the same. The, the director is the writer, so you know he probably, he obviously wrote it for himself to direct. But uh, I think the screenplay for Staying Vertical is is my number one.
0: You know, I, I, I mentioned earlier earlier to you that I just I don't want to watch any more 2017 movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the staying vertical, I've only seen once, and I actually can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a great choice. That really, really is. It's a special movie. Um, for me, I went with Columbus because again, like a lot of the dialogue in there, is it, it's, it, it's not it's it's not necessarily like a Before Sunrise where everybody's saying these really profound, amazing, no. quotable things. People are
1: somewhat inarticulate the way real people are sort of somewhat inarticulate.
0: Like, it was the most I felt... I mean, you say this a lot with certain movies, but you go like, it just felt so real, man! (laughs) And like I felt like I know these people, and this is exactly how they would talk. It's it's a strong movie. We'll talk more about it later. Absolutely. Uh, What's next? Best Cinematography. What can you say? I saw this in, in IMAX. Hardly anybody was in the theater. It was one of the most enveloping experiences. Um, Blade Runner 2049. That's mine. Yeah. That's
1: mine. The Deeks. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Gotta get the Deeks. You gotta get the Deeks. Oh, man. Give all the awards to Deeks. Blade Runner 2049 was a movie I had no excitement for leading up to it, like its announcement and its first sort of teaser trailers and stuff. Yeah. Because I just assume like, well, there's no way any studio makes this movie without it being full of like CGI or whatever. And there's plenty of CGI in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but it looks so incredible and there's so many just like baffling visual touches like the the sort of the gunfight they have yeah, with the, the, like the, the casino thing, yeah. And like the giant stat the Osimantius sort of like just statue that's in the desert. Yeah like there's so much amazing stuff going Like, later on 2049, uh, when I thought about it, I was like, oh, maybe I don't like this movie so much. But when I was just experiencing it as an audio-visual sort of feast, mm-hmm. like the original film, I was just like, ha, ha, I
0: yeah, love th- this. I know, and I'm, I'm actually kind of scared to rewatch this in 4K because I might just have a two-and-a-half-hour orgasm the whole well. time.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad thing, There's nothing I guess. To, just ask Sting. There's nothing wrong with oh, the two and a two-and-a-half-hour orgasm. No,
0: that's true. So, yeah, I'm really excited to rewatch that, especially since, like, again, it didn't feel as emotionally satisfying as I wanted it to be, but like, it's on my list. We'll talk more about it. Um, so the worst film of 2017 for me was uh, essentially, like, you know, a hundred-minute TED Talk, and that's The Circle uh-huh. with Tom Hanks and Emma Watson, which... Yeah, I guess it wanted to be like, you know, this, um, you know, sort of, it's like an episode of Black Mirror, kind of like commenting on technology and the, you know, just the the Pokemon Go generation and how we're always following one another.
1: Is that what they're calling them now? The Pokemon Go generation?
0: That's that's the new thing that I'm hearing. (laughs)
1: Um, I know it's still huge. I think you're out of date. I think they're the HQ generation now. They're playing that live trivia game.
0: Oh, I actually don't know what that is. Oh, we'll talk about it later. Okay, I'm curious, but anyway, The Circle is a horrible, horrible movie um, from the director of The End of the Tour, which
1: made our lists a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm not really surprised. Not that, not that The End of the Tour was like an amazingly directed film. No, but like this was so inept. And Dave Eggers
0: wrote the source material, and I'm a big fan of his. It was just a complete misfire. So and Emma was, Watson was awful. That was
1: worse than King Arthur.
0: Yeah, in my mind, yeah. Wow. I, I think so. I, I, I've I, yet to I, see The Mummy, but I hear that's I awful. went
1: into this knowing that King Arthur would be the worst film you saw this year.
0: I, it's like a toss of the coin kind of sure. Thing, but the more I thought about it, the more I just hated The Circle.
1: Yeah. Uh, for me, I with the caveat that I don't actually watch many bad movies like if i if not into a movie 20 minutes in i will likely just turn it off i'm starting to be that way time and, is precious
0: now as and, i'm getting older
1: yeah and i just yeah and i and i'm pretty good at picking out what i know i won't like um so there's probably plenty of worse movies but for me bye bye man was the <laughs> worst film of that i saw the, the worst title 2017 film mad. i saw it is it feels like someone put It Follows through, like, a Brundlefly machine. Oh. Like, you know, like, how the meat loses its flavor? Mm-hmm. Like, it is just the most soulless, inept, uh, sort of post-Bloomhouse-ass, like, attempt to do an It Follows uh, ripoff. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't. And, like, I, I was hoping that it would be so bad that it would be, you know, like, for me, horror movies, when they're really bad, they kind of come around and are good again because they're fascinating in some way right but it it was it was just like flat line i feel
0: like that's how that's very close to how nick described the um remake of um let the right one in let me in oh yeah as like the 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 the, um the brundle steak version
1: of it yeah absolutely no that's a (laughs) metaphor i think of constantly
0: yeah and I, i yeah that's that's a that's a good one that's a good way to put it so um, What's next? Most Promising Discovery, and I kind of go with director, is uh, the director of Columbus. How mm-hmm. do you say his name? Koga... Koganada Koganada
1: Thank you. That's how I pronounce it. I yes, don't know Kog- if that's correct.
0: Koganada
1: or... mm-hmm. For me, it was a toss-up between Dash Shaw uh, from uh, my entire high school, Sinking Into the Sea. I need to see that. That is a very beautiful, singular. We'll talk more about that yes, later. Yeah, but it is, it is a very singular animated film in a way that uh, some people might not find appealing, but I, f- I found just Absolutely delightful.
0: Did that play the music box or something? It did play okay. the music box. I guess I
1: just missed it. Yeah, okay. earlier in the earlier in the year. Best older film you saw um, for the first time? Oh no, but it was a toss-up between Dash Shaw, oh, and sorry. Uh, Aldofo Colmerer and William James of Snowflake, which is another film I saw at Cinepocalypse. It's oh, a, Snowflake! It's yeah. a very strange German film. Uh, it's sort of a postmodern. It's like if adaptation met Old Boy, but met Whoa. like lockstock and two smoking barrels and that sounds really obnoxious and in, a, in some kind of ways it is but it really makes it work in a way that is interesting and it's it's a it's an interesting movie um it does it's not fully successful but it, it kind of has more on its plate uh than it lets on initially and i'll be interested to see if that gets any sort of vod release or anything out here um but yeah snowflake we'll talk a little bit more later but uh, best older film you saw for the first time in 2017.
0: <sighs> okay, well, I got... An, uh, the honest choice is this Russian film I saw back in February called Silent Light, which, uh, you know, eventually became the title of my album. Um, is that a
1: Russian film? I, I, you know what? I don't know if it is, I actually. That was, I thought that takes place in Mexico. It doesn't. It, it's from the, it's from it the takes director place, of uh, Post-Tenebrae Lux, right? Yes. Or is this
0: a, it's a Mexican director... And I want to say it's a Russian film. Okay. I want to see it again, but it is slow, heartbreaking, um, and very much like a movie that's made my list from this year, but it's so um, unlike anything I've ever seen in terms of like maybe beginning as a Terrence Malick beautiful sort of capturing of nature and the open skyline and whatnot. But it it, it just it floored me. I'd never seen anything like it before. Um, and I know I, I've seen I've seen Post-Tenderbury Lux and I liked it. Fine, I, it was one of those movies I think that started out strong and just kind of petered out a little bit. But Silent Light kind of it really it enveloped me. It kind of it intoxicated me. I don't know how else to put it. It's just one of those experiences that's hard to put into words. Mm-hmm. Um, but another another pick for me is this movie that I hope you get to see at some point, maybe for Halloween. It's called White of the Eye, mm-hmm. and I think it just got like a re-release through Arrow or one of those um, you know, Blu-ray distributors. I can't remember which one, but um it, it is so weird, so strange. Um a Letterboxd reviewer described it as a desert bleach sun rot death spiral into the nightmare of a damaged brain. that's and that, pretty good. Yeah. It's it's like it's like Cronenberg and Lynch and all sorts of it's just like a mind fuck mm-hmm. that I can't say enough what good things about. 87? Okay. So and yeah it's got David Keith and I think Kathy Moriarty. It's just a weird, trippy, interesting horror film. Um very giallo like at times but also just kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. But really worth seeing.
1: I'd say the top best, the three best movies I saw this year um I, I like Manchester by the Sea is kind of up there for me, but that's like
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. And all, I'm I sorry didn't see that but, in but Pat- Patterson too. 2016, Patterson's 2016, yeah. another one for me.
1: Um so the three best movies I saw this year were horror films. Um, I saw The Innocents, which is the 1960 British psychological ghost story. What, about the kids? Uh, yeah, with the kids. Yeah, it's based yeah, off yeah. Henry James' Turn of the Screw. It's one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. It is so unbelievably brilliant. Um, Alice, Sweet Alice, which I record. If you want to hear more about my thoughts on that, I recorded a commentary track for it on Tracks of the Damned. So good. Um, and then I think the one that takes it is I, I want to give a special shout-out to The Front Row, which is a group that's been putting on Midnight Movies at the Music Box last year and a little bit before that, um, and they're continuing into this year. So check the Music Box website. Go on their Midnight Movies. If you see something is presented by the Front Row but you've never heard of the movie, go fucking see that movie because they program the most amazing shit. So they – like a lot of amazing experiences. Last House on Dead End Street uh, is was like – the the most upsetting mindfuck brilliant uh, like uh, nihilistic horror film I've ever seen in my life. Um, but the 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 best movie I saw this year was as a midnight movie presented by the front row, The Boxer's Omen, which is it was the first Hong Kong black magic movie I've ever seen. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because mm-hmm.
0: um, I, I almost forgot.
1: What's that, Patrick? Oh boy, you had both birthdays and Christmas. That's true. What what's happening right now? You're opening a bag. You're walking towards me with this giant book. What is this book? This is from me and Bill. Oh my god, Nightmare USA: The Untold Story of Exploitation Independence by Stephen Thrower. This book is incredible. I've I've skimmed through a digital version of this book, but this book is is one of the great books about independent horror films. And these are from, you know, you got a birthday and a Christmas. Oh my goodness. Cloud Atlas on Blu-ray, pretty good. I always wanted to rewatch that and see uh, if my opinions on that held up. And the Boxer's Omen. Good on timing! DVD. <laughs> Holy shit, I was this is not planned. I was not <laughs> I was not expecting this. Okay, you know what? I'm just gonna go ahead and let Image Entertainment, the people who produce this fine DVD, sell Boxer's Omen on you. Uh, for you after suffering an injury in the ring an embattled boxer enlists the aid of his brother chen hung to avenge him and find the key to an omen which may release their family from an ancient curse Black wizards, Taoist monks, rampaging monsters, spooky apparitions, beastly crocodile skeletons, flying human heads, a sexy female zombie with long talons, and demonic bats lie in store for our hero, whose trials form one of the most outrageous, horrific, and dazzling spectacles in action horror history. You've never seen anything like it. That was literally true for me. Starring martial arts master's Bob... So... This is a black magic movie. Uh, if you haven't seen any of those, like, Hong Kong black magic movies, they're super intense, gross-out horror movies. Like, if you take something like Evil Dead, but Evil Dead is kind of like Vaudeville almost. Evil Dead's like, ah, it's slapstick. It's blood sprays out and people slip in it, sort of a thing. So this isn't like Hao right? Or- no, no. Hao is. Hao Sioux is. Uh, it is crazier. I mean it's as crazy as Hao Sue but like stylistically it doesn't look like it. Okay. Because again, Hao Sue feels like it's a goofy comic book or whatever. There is a real passion and like an earnestness behind the boxer's omen. Um that it just happens to have like every scene there's some amazing special effect of someone's head coming off or their legs stretching out or someone smashing a bat and like a, like a little animatronic oh, nice. bat. Like it's it is so much fun. It is the most surprising movie maybe I've ever seen in my life. Like, I I mean, and again, this is partly because I don't know the genre as well. I think for people who are familiar with the genre, this is still one of the high points, but not necessarily, like, untypical. But for me, I, like, every two minutes something happened that completely blew my mind. Uh, it is intense. There's, like, you know, like, chickens being killed uh, and stuff like that. But, like, whatever. Chickens get killed to, <laughs> to, to make food. So... That's fine. You can kill a chicken this on camera. Like, that sounds as I'm like concerned. a good
0: movie to watch around my birthday, maybe with you, because I'd like to see
1: this. This is a movie to see with a crowd, and that's again why. I, like, I after I yeah. saw this at the front row, I decided I'm going to go to every front row screening there is because I owe them. I have like a life debt to them. The way like oh, Chewbacca wow. has a life debt to Han Solo. Like, I just need to support them because they change, and you know, they continue to uh, change my life in various ways with the other films I watch, but. Boxer's Omen, I cannot recommend it strongly enough. If you have any taste at all for, like, crazy cinema, um, it is a beautiful, wonderful movie. Very good. Um, I'm Thank you so much yes, for these, absolutely. these fine gifts.
0: I'm going to put these over here. Um, the best theatrical experience that you had, maybe that was it. <laughs>
1: well, that <laughs> was very that similar. Was, that was close, but the other, one, the the best theatrical experience I had this year was also from the front row. They screened Anguish, which is oh right. A let's see, it's is a, Zelda Rubenstein in that. Zelda Rubenstein is in it. is from 1987. It's a Spanish horror film by Biggest Luna. Um, I feel like I've seen this. So Anguish is a post again. It's a postmodern horror film um, about. A guy who is an optometrist who's sort of controlled by his domineering mother, played by Zelda Rubinstein, and she kind of psychically controls him and makes him kill for her. Um, There's a lot of spiral imagery, snails, stuff like that. Mm. Um, So then it's revealed that this movie is actually just a movie inside the world of the larger movie of Anguish. Um, And most of the movie of Anguish takes place inside a movie theater, which is playing this movie – where Michael Lehrer uh, from, like, Cohen Brothers movies, you know, he plays the producer in Barton Fink. Mark- Michael Lerner? Lerner, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, he, he's the killer in, in the movie, inside the movie. But while these people are huh. watching this horror movie in this theater, there is an actual mass murderer who is slowly and quietly killing people in the theater and, like, hiding their bodies in the bathroom. Hmm. And seeing that movie, seeing the movie Anguish, in a movie theater— is, I mean, it, it, it's a really good horror movie, but also seeing it in a movie theater, like, there was a point where I had to get up and go to the bathroom, and I literally, like, checked all the stalls because I was just, like... Oh, yeah. I was just in the mindset of this, again, there all that spiral imagery, and I was in this very postmodern thing, uh, and I would, like, I would just, like, nervously, like, glance over at the exits because I was just so absorbed in this really good... It was an amazing experience. Right. That's um, That, again, like... If I had seen Anguish on DVD, which I now own Anguish on DVD, for the first time, I would have been like, that was cool. That was interesting. That was a new thing, new twist, and it was well done. But seeing it in a theater, which is, I think, probably a pretty rare experience, that was absolutely above and beyond something amazing.
0: Yeah, I I do – I do appreciate when you ha- you watch a movie and there's a scene that takes place in a movie theater in it. While while you're watching it in a movie theater, mm-hmm. like the ending of "In the Mouth of Madness," is it's sure. kind of fun in that regard. Hey,
1: I saw that in theaters. Uh, that last that, year, that too. was
0: enjoyable. That was enjoyable to watch that with you and and, and my friend Kate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a good time with that. Because uh, you know, th- to me, that like automatically makes me think, and it's probably why I elevate the movie so much. Is the first experience I had with it, seeing it with my best friend in an empty theater, and sort of driving home in the complete dark with you know the the driving of the li- yeah the, the lines and yeah that
1: image that that's yeah. one of the most memorable images from For in The sure Mouth of Madness yeah.
0: Um, so I went with uh, the ambulance with um, Eric Robertson, Larry oh, Cohen. that's right. In attendance, um, it was so much fun. I mean, Larry Cohen clearly wanted to be a stand-up comedian at some point because he just... He just he takes that mic and just constant and just goes and goes and goes in the best way. He's so much fun live. Um, Eric Roberts was just he couldn't have been cooler. This was part of the Apocalypse. Yes, yes, genre film yes, it festival. was. And you know, it was a thirty-five millimeter print, very old school. The movie was kind of silly. Yeah. In um, in the tradition. Oh, of some a Larry other, Cohen movie is silly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's it's in the tradition of like phone booth. Only you know it doesn't take place in one location. It's just. It's just, you know, a nice, cool, fun, ridiculous movie mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, Eric Roberts has a mullet and you go with it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it was a good time. And also, uh, you know, seeing, seeing Lucky for the Chicago Critics Film Festival and, you know, Nick DiGiulio sitting next to me and we both getting a little choked up. Sure. Good experience, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All good, all good. Well, that's going to do it for our awards. Um, Before we go into our sort of the movies that just didn't make our top ten list, we should read uh, some stuff that people sent in.
0: Yeah, we got a couple of uh, emails that we'll just briefly read. Patrick, you can go
1: first, and I'll
0: take take the second one.
1: Um, Dear Patrick and Jim, I haven't seen enough movies this year to create a top 10 list. Instead, I wanted to tell you that I love what you've done this year with the expanded Now Playing Network and particularly Voices and Visions. The Jess Hicks episode is definitely on my 2017 top 10 podcast episodes. If you find the time, I'm sure many of your listeners would love to hear you and Patrick's top podcast episodes. Well, I'm a little sad that you'll be stepping away from podcasting for the time being. It'll be great to see more of your writing in 2018. All the best and happy New Year, Nathaniel.
0: I didn't even think to. I mean, this 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 email came in last night, so I couldn't have like probably contacted you and been like, think of your top 10 podcast episodes.
1: Oh, uh, I don't have a top 10, but I can say that. Um, so I I I I can't listen to film podcasts because I have too many opinions. And I just get mad whenever my opinion isn't represented. And I just – it's just a frustrating experience for me. It's really dumb, but that's where I am. Um, But I do listen to a lot of video game podcasts because I care – I like video games a lot, but I don't have the money to actually participate in it. Yeah. So I like following the culture and the the industry and everything via video game podcast. And Giant Bomb is my, like, favorite video game website. And they have a – they do their end-of-the-year episodes – they have to come to a consensus as a group. So they have their Goaty game of the year uh, episodes where they have all these categories, sort of like what we just went through. But everyone has played different games and has different opinions. And they basically have to debate through until they can say, actually, this was the game that had the best music this year. And they huh. don't allow themselves to take a vote. So it really has to be through other people convincing everyone else and like them reading the room. And, like, trying to figure out, like, well, I don't agree with this, but I guess everyone else is on board. We can make this the best music. And, like, those conversations are fascinating. So I would say every year my favorite podcasts that come out are the Giant Bomb Goaty Awards. Um, I'd love to do something like that with film, but I just don't have, like, a group of people who are all working together. Would I find it interesting to listen
0: to even though I'm not a video game person? Probably not. Okay. You would probably be very lost. I will say that one of your recommendations uh, is it Idle – Idle thumbs. Idle thumbs. They, um, I think, two of the guys put out a Twin Peaks podcast. Yes,
1: Twin Peaks rewatch. Is I this. loved it. I, that was, I, that that was, was very my, good.
0: That was my favorite Twin Peaks, you know, recap show. I listened to like two or three of them because <laughs> you're all, like that's one of those shows when it's over. It's like I gotta see what other people think, right? And they did a great job. They're they they're great.
1: very they're very good too. Yeah. They have they're now they sort of don't do idle thumbs anymore. They do like important if true, which is more of a comedy podcast. Oh, but, okay, but they're like yeah, they're very smart guys. And uh, when Regina was rewatching Twin Peaks, I was sort of present for some of the episodes, and I would re-listen to. Some of that stuff. Yeah.
0: And of course, The Best Show. You know, I'm oh, yeah, st- yeah. still an avid fan of Tom Sharpling and all that. The he Best does. Show
1: is the best podcast slash radio show of all time. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And of course, I'm a big fan of Tracks of the Damned and supporting characters. Oh, Voices and Visions. It's just oh, peachy keen. It is pretty peachy keen. All right. So, um, anyway, we have w- another one here. It says Jim and Patrick. First of all, I saw very little in 2017 to warrant a list, but I felt compelled to write in anyway. Let me just say for the record that you are greatly missed in the world of podcasting. Sure, you have provided separate ventures, but hearing you together talk movies was something I always look forward to. But six years is better than nothing, and some podcasters don't even last that long. That being said, please elaborate on future creative pursuits or why you have kicked podcasting to the curb, more or less. You are so good at it, and I'm grateful to even get to hear you for the best of episode as a way to kick off 2018. Do try to do guest appearances in the future on other shows, and you can bet I will re-listen to episodes of the past. Sincerely, Josh Four, who I believe has written to us in the past. That's true. He's a very nice guy, clearly. Yeah. Um, like I've mentioned, um, I, I, I want to write more and podcast less. I, you know, That was my starting out from my high school years into my early 20s. You know, I, my goal was journalism. My goal was film writing, and I kind of want to go back to that more and, uh, you know, interview less. I love interviewing. I think Voices and Visions was a good outlet for me, and maybe I'll do it sporadically. Like, if I can line somebody up that's awesome, I'll still put out an episode or two. Um, but more or less, I, I, I just want to read and write more. That's kind of my, 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 my main goal. So, you know, sad to say that I'm, I might be podcasting less, but, uh, I'm still going to be very happy in what I pursue mm-hmm. soon.
1: Yeah. For me, 2017 was the worst year of my life and I have, I have no real faith that 2018 will not be worse than that. So like I was just, uh, there was, there was sort of a dual, uh, purpose for me sort of slowing down podcasting, which is. A, I was just so emotionally and intellectually drained that when it came between should I dive into this and do research or should I just like I don't know, play Pac Man or some shit. Like just like <laughs> turn my brain off and No, do a lot of people need stupid. to do that. Yeah. I, I I always opted for the latter and I I just couldn't keep up the podcast at the rate that I was used to doing it. Um, but will Tracks of the damn Tracks of the damn <laughs> is gonna continue. Okay. But and the, the other thing is Tracks of the Damned I genuinely am proud of Tracks of the Damned, and especially the episode they did in season two. I think Tracks of the Damned is getting better and better, but the the problem with that is the amount of work I put into any given episode has sort of creeped up and up and up mm. to the point where the first four episodes I did in season one, I, I could do that work within a given week and feel fine about it. But now that I know where the bar is, and I've set the bar a little higher for myself... That's not something I can do on such a regular basis. Sure. Um if it was like a you know, if it was a full time job or whatever, I'd be able to do it weekly, no problem. But just with everything else going on in my life, uh that's just not really an option for me. So I'd rather just make sure that the commentary tracks are good, um, rather than there. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, that makes sense. So yeah.
1: I mean I am I am dedicated to the very least I am going to finish season two, which is twenty episodes. I think mean, I'm like eight or nine episodes now.
0: Yeah, I was hoping to do another short film
1: because I like that. Right. I like that approach. To yeah, that no, that's that's figure. gonna happen. I just yeah. I and but and then also I directed a film in July. That's right. What's um, the progress that I need to edit? What's the status? I should say it is on a it is on a hard drive in, in uh, Sean Pierce's house. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the director of Meathead Goes Hog Wild, and uh, um, the uh, and his new film Secret Papo. Papo, the secret Papo. The Secret Papo. That's it. It was a very fun movie. It's okay. very. It's if you look out for that festival goers. It's uh. It's coming at you. It's if, if you want like a modern day like if you want Tim and Eric but with all the bullshit and more of <laughs> like like a Richard Lester sort of oh. vibe and and sort of emotional commitment. That's you're gonna want to see the Secret Papo. It was a lot of fun. Good, but like so he has that. We got to edit that together at some point, but. He has this new movie that he's submitting to festivals and stuff like that, and he has a full-time job, and he is doing this all out of the kindness of his heart, so we're sort of working out when that's going to happen. Well, that way, you know, in the
0: future, for when you do interviews about the film, you can be like, it took me two years to put
1: this together. When I do interviews about this seven-minute short (laughs) that will play at three festivals and then live on Vimeo...
0: That's the way it goes,
1: man. That is my my fingers crossed for three festivals. By the way, I Mm. I would be fucking peachy happy. Peachy happy is a very common phrase that human beings use. That's the name of your new podcast. Peachy happy is the new podcast I'm starting where I only talk about things that make me happy, and it has big fucking peaches. Okay, but at any rate, Patrick, that's where I am. We have a list. We do have a list, but we have a top ten list, and then we have the movies outside of our top ten list. Indeed. So, shall we begin? Sure. Okay. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? Um I'll start. Well, yeah, you start. <laughs> uh okay. So, I like it when I like it when the man takes control. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um we're gonna go twenty-five through eleven. Uh these are our twenty-five through eleven picks. Um uh-huh. my twenty-five is The Babysitter by Mick G. Wow. Which is just a really fun horror comedy. It's, it was fun. It's very goofy. It's very much like Mick G. It feels like Mick G has watched some Joseph Kahn movies, like he watched detention and like Torque and stuff. Uh, he, it's, it feels like, you know, Mick G is director of like Charlie's Angels uh, One and Two and some other stuff like that. But he's also a music video director. that's probably mostly what he's known for. And this feels like a music video director letting loose uh, all these visual ideas he had for music hmm. videos in the form of this sort of uh, uh, siege horror comedy. It's obnoxious, but I, I found it really fun, um, and it really worked for me.
0: Obnoxious more for me, but I still found it fun. Sure. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it, but it certainly – it's not high art, people. No,
1: it is not. <laughs> not by any means. Um, number 24 was Call Me By Your Name, uh, which was the new new film written by James Ivory. I think it's been a while since he wrote a film yeah. last that's um, true, and it's directed by uh, Luca Guada- Guadagnino, who directed uh, *I Am Splash. Love* and *Bigger Splash*. And he's going to be directing the new *Suspiria* movie uh, remake, which is insane to me because if you watch *Call Me by Your Name*, it's a very beautiful movie, but it is not a. You, I have no idea what that movie is going to look like. That's fine. Um, *Call Me by Your Name* is a very well achieved romance uh, that that is long. It's a long movie, and because it is a long movie, it sort of accumulates a, a level of detail that uh, you associate with novels. Uh, it is based, in fact, based on a novel, um, and I think it. I think it really works in its favor. I think the thing that puts me off it, and this is the thing I'm going to be saying throughout this entire episode, is that it is the most predictable story ever, um, and it is like I, the biggest cliche in the world. Is this this story? And that this movie this – ba- this basic movie comes out four times a year. Uh,
0: but it's a strong
1: example of that type of movie. I no, it, it, precisely. But, like, I knew before I put it in exactly what was going to happen from start to finish. There was – the details of how it's directed and how it's acted made it live for me. Yeah. So that was my number 24. My number 23 is Columbus, directed by Koganata. Um, I think uh, Haley Lou Richardson is really good in it. I think it is absolutely a gorgeous movie. And it, I think it is a very uh, – I don't know if it's well-observed because I, I think Koganata is from Korea. I don't know. But it feels Midwestern. It feels like those people feel like they're genuinely from the Midwest. It feels like the sort of people that I've interacted with all my time here. Um, its It feels very honest. Um, on top of being this sort of architecture tour. Again, my problem with it is it is entirely predictable and it is the most like boilerplate indie drama story <laughs> you can imagine. Um, I mean the type of movie that Jim loves. Right, right, no, I know, I don't mean to and also like also like to be honest, this is just like a huge divide between me and you, which is sick parent leads one to look re re look at their life is a thing that I've seen in every movie like for the past forever whereas that is something that you actually have personal experience with and probably speaks more to you on on like a gut level where for me it's just like that's what people do when they want to write a drama but they don't have a good idea Mm. (laughs) like like that is just that is just the it's like that is just the baseline yeah,
0: I guess. I, I mean, to some degree, I understand that it's a trope, and it, it's like it's it's so overused in mm-hmm. some cases, but. Like this is I mean, effective I mean what was that
1: movie John Krasinski made a movie in 2017? Yeah, that was I mean there's terrible. a lot of these movies. Like it, there's uh, uh, there was that family really Stone. bad This is where I leave you. It was another oh, like a really bad I think it was like a Jason Bateman version or like I don't the like all of them. No, no, sure. absolutely. But it's like I'm 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 bringing up all of these to say Columbus is the good well-observed detailed version of that that is gorgeous. like every yeah. shot of that movie is really beautiful. Um, we'll hear I, more about it. I really did like it, and we'll talk more about that later, I'm sure. Uh, my number 22 was Snowflake, which I talked about a little earlier, directed by Aldofo uh, Colmerer and William James. It's written by Aaron Remmers, who, of course, because it's an adaptation kind of postmodern thing, he is also one of the main characters in the film. Mm. Um, it is a it is obnoxious in, in some of the ways that The Babysitter is obnoxious. I think it is very funny, but it also is about – sort of Germany and Germany's history of fascism and racism and about the way that that didn't go away just because the Nazis won, world, lost World War II. There's, like, a literal moment where, there, where a scene is set up where it's like, we have to go to the basement of the country. And then you just, like, find this giant bunker and then just, like, a t- text appears on screen that says, the basement of the country. Right. And it is just Nazis training for a new... And it's like this idea, this undercurrent of hatred... Um, in this kind of revenge movie, and the other thing I find interesting about it is revenge movies are the most played out thing ever. Like, yeah, I do, th- you've just I'm more seen it yeah, million times. <laughs> but because this is a movie about characters who discover they're inside of a screenplay, like a kind of Guy Ritchie, Lockstock Two Smoking Barrels, crazy serial killers and cross crisscrossing storylines, kind of a screenplay. Hmm. They read ahead and they see what they're going to do, and it. Sort of is a movie that is addressing the fatalism of the subgenre of oh, wow. revenge okay. movies in a way that I find really interesting. It doesn't always work. I think, like, the ending, it got, kind of goes for a Hail Mary of profundity that just does not land at all. But I think it's a really cool movie that is worth checking out, Snowflake. Uh, my number 21 was Meyerowitz Stories, which I think is just really sharp writing from Noah Baumbach. And I think Adam Sandler's really, really great in it. And I think Ben Stiller pretty good. And I think uh, Dustin Hoffman's really good in it, but it is just sort of the. It felt like Noah Baumbach wanted to make a movie and didn't have an idea, so he decided to make it about a sick parent and the kids reckoning with their their childhood. Like it just feels no like problems that thing. here. No, absolutely. <laughs> but it's just like, yep, I've seen that before, and there's nothing about this that surprises me. Speaking of surprises, my number twenty is Mother. Holy shit! Yeah, that is a surprise. I had such a great time in the theater uh, with Mother. That is – that is again, like I really value being surprised and and feeling like a director has taken me by the hand and is running me down these corridors and I have no idea where I am. And Mother uh, – there's like two or three moments where it absolutely – you think you have an idea. It's like, oh, yeah, this is sort of like a psychological thriller about like this woman who is, is – Sort of powerless in her own home, and Mm -hmm. it's about. And then it's like, nope, actually, this wake scene is going on way too fucking long. And then it gets to the point where you're like, oh, no, no, none of this is literal. Oh, I get it. Like, that wake scene is so incredible. Yeah. And then as it spirals out of control again and again, like, eventually it sort of dawned on me that it was like, oh, the two brothers, one killed each other. Okay, this is all biblical. And then I was rethinking everything. And then by the end, it's. Yeah, it's. So it was so much fun to see. It was just such a great theatrical experience. I don't think it's deep. I don't think it has much to say. I don't... I like... Tying the ecological fears to the biblical structure is just like, whatever. It's it's the sort of thing Darren Aronofsky would do because he likes to try to make things feel more profound than they are. Mm-hmm. But um, as a theatrical experience, it was amazing, partially because I got to see it in a multiplex. And we'll be talking about that later. That was surprising. Like absolutely crazy movies played multiplexes this year. Uh... In a way that's maybe less about Hollywood being bold and more about theaters looking for shit now that Hollywood isn't working. Like they're more willing to work yeah, yeah, yeah. the risky stuff.
0: Like The Witch was kind of the first experience where I saw that in like, a, you know, the suburbs and a multiplex and people were like, what?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, like, <laughs> and they were like that with So mother. there's the titular, and oh, by the way, we should have said already, but there's spoilers. We're going to spoil a lot of the stuff. Yeah, we'll try to warn you, but we're going to want to talk about the movies. feel movie like Mother,
0: maybe you don't want to spoil, but we are. <laughs>
1: so. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna say. I'm gonna spoil it right now. So jump ahead thirty seconds. But like the scene where everyone ate the baby. Four different people got up out of their seats and left the theater in disgust, and that was just yeah. like so wonderful to just because I'm cackling because I understand what's happening, but everyone else is trying, still trying to make literal sense of what's happening. Yeah, I can't believe they were that at, at that at that point. Yeah, yeah, sense. it's it's kind of, but you know, people are literal. People have been trained by movies to not to take things very literally.
0: And at the end of that uh, screening, um, you know, again in a in, in a multiplex, heard a guy just say.
1: Fuck this movie! Yeah, yeah. And leave. No, absolutely. A lot of angry people in that theater. I loved it. Uh, My number 19 is Baby Driver. I mentioned a little bit that I found it a little disappointing. I think Baby is an awful character. And I think it's not a comedy, which is weird. It's kind of playful, but it's not a comedy the way every other Edgar Wright movie is a comedy. And the thing that makes Edgar Wright movies work is that they're super funny and there's a ton of amazing jokes. And the fact that, like, actually the plot of Hot Fuzz is ludicrous and whatever, like... It doesn't matter because it's not real. It's a comedy world. And Baby Driver tries to be more realistic and it just doesn't work. I think Um, totally it's a little weird. I think the romance is awful. I was like, I was mad every second I had to spend with the baby and the waitress. Eh. I was like, I just thought that all that was terrible. I really liked Jamie Foxx. I really liked a lot of the action in it. And I liked the way that Edgar Wright constructs scenes. So there was, I was still entertained throughout, but. Um, and I and it is a movie I enjoyed, but as far as like me considering Edgar Wright one of the most talented directors of his generation, like this is the movie that made me step back and be like, but he's not the most talented writer. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I guess. maybe we'll talk about it later. But um, if it's in your top twenty-five, it might be okay. But <gasps> um my number eighteen is "I Am Not Your Negro," directed by Raoul Peck. Um, oh yeah, that was this year. Yep. Yeah. Mm. That so that was sort of a bio doc about James Baldwin, um, but it, more to the point, it is about James Baldwin's words, and further to the point, it is about the power of rhetoric. It is about the it is about how a perfectly phrased idea can completely change your outlook, and it is sort of a visual mm. essay accompanying his words in a way that makes it much more interesting than if it was just like. This is the Wikipedia entry for James Baldwin. Yeah,
0: yeah. Illustrated
1: totally. for you with Talking Heads, who said, J- it, Dave Grohl's there, and he's like, James Baldwin was everything. There wouldn't be Nirvana <laughs> without James Baldwin. Well, no, that's that's every rock documentary yeah. has yeah, <laughs> Dave Grohl true. saying that every band is responsible for Nirvana. But uh, I Am Not Your Negro is a really <laughs> cool movie. My number 17 is Three Billboards Outside of Ebbings, Missouri, which I think, on a scene to scene basis, is so much fun and so exciting. Um, I just, I really, I forget, I'm forgetting the writer's name now. Martin McDonough. I, I really, Martin McDonough is such a talented writer and all of the scenes are amazing, but I think it doesn't really know what it's trying to say. And also it, it tries to go for, it tries to give you whiplash basically. And it felt like I was just being jerked around. Like it just felt like things would happen, not because they felt like the next thing that would happen, but it felt like that was the most surprising thing in any given moment, like there's a couple of moments where Frances McDormand is just the most hostile asshole ever, and then on a dime, she becomes comforting or nurturing or whatever, and I just did not that, buy, that, that, it. buy it I didn't buy it of whatsoever. What the about a little bit I mean just like I mean we'll yeah, talk about that yeah, later. Yeah, yeah we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I did not buy it. I did not buy those characters, I did not buy that world. I thought it was too real I thought it was played too real for how heightened it is um. I, I really enjoyed watching it, but afterwards I was just like, man, I wish I gave a shit, but I don't because because huh. I feel like Martin McDonough was just trying to jerk me around. Um, next is The Florida Project, uh, directed by Sean Baker, uh, written with uh, Chris Bergoch. It's a really good um, sort of story of childhood. It, it kind of hits some of the same notes as something like Charles Burnett's like, Killer of Sheep um, at its height. But the thing about it is I knew from the beginning the exact structure. I knew exactly how it was gonna end. I knew every beat along the way. I knew that prostitution was gonna come up. I knew that I I I knew that it wouldn't that it wouldn't just have like a bleak ending, that it would have some sort of but because the actual ending would be bleak, I knew that he would have to invent some sort of fantastical thing. Like and even the thing that did surprise me about the movie is, you know, his last film, Tangerine, I absolutely adored. Um, shot on iPhones Still looked gorgeous on iPhones This was shot in 35mm Also absolutely gorgeous Has oh, some yeah. of those same wide uh, s- uh, Sort of wide angle tracking shots um, mm, Of the sure. landscapes and stuff That were from Tangerine And I thought this movie looked incredible is so beautiful to look at And But even that I knew All the visual tricks it had in its sleeve Within the first 15 minutes of the movie I still enjoyed watching it all play out I think that the whatever work he did with the child children actors, I don't – like I wouldn't say they gave great performances because they weren't really called to do much beyond sort of be enthusiastic and loud, which is the thing that children can do. Um, yeah. But like the way he incorporates them into the movie is really great and he has a good ear for dialogue and it never felt uh, patronizing to me in the way it did for some. And um, it felt really heartfelt and earned and we'll talk more about that later. Uh my number fifteen is Good Time, directed by the brothers uh, Softy. Mm-hmm. Which is, I, I should tell my story of how I watched this. So I got home late, and I was going to make my own tomato sauce that night. But tomato making our tomato sauce is like a four-hour process. So, and I bought a bottle of wine because making tomato sauce, but you only need a little glug of wine to make the sauce, and then the rest of it, I was like, well, then that's for me. So I drank an entire bottle of wine as I was crushing these tomatoes on the side of the pot and then i was like well this wine is gone but i do have this vodka here so i'll start drinking this vodka uh-oh i got super fucking drunk and then as the pasta, as the sauce was simmering uh and i still hadn't eaten anything cuz i was waiting for the sauce and the sausages to all cook i put on good time and i watched it and as i was watching it i just got drunker and drunker and i felt the momentum of that movie and the crazy nature of that movie and the uh the way he this this the sort of twitchy uh, aspect like uh, energy of that movie. I was living that at that moment. And I was running around. I was like, checking the sauce. And I was running back. And I first play. And I drink another glass of vodka. And I was like... And you wound up at White Castle. I, I ended up so... I mean, I, I ended up just like puking in the tub. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. no, like, it did not end well. But that was... I watched the first two thirds that way. And that was like a perfect way to watch the first two thirds. Then I had to go to my parents to, for the holidays... And I didn't finish it until I came back. And after that, I was really depressed. And I sat depressed, and I watched the final third of Good Time, and it was like, it it was maybe not the right way to see that movie, but on the other hand, it was the perfect way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that That movie
1: is so much energy and is so exciting. Um, It's I thought I had never seen one of their films before, but I had actually seen um, the Pleasure of Being Robbed. Oh, I haven't seen that. It's basically (laughs) if you took if you took the same basic thing as Good Time. Uh, but you made it about uh, – but you made it sort of whimsical and like had a magical realist bent to it and like cut the budget into a quarter. Like that's what The Pleasure of Being Robbed is. Okay. Um, I'm a fan of theirs for sure. Well, you should check out The Pleasure of Being Robbed then. Um, I haven't seen Heaven Knows What or anything but um, – It's a good – It's I
0: mean, again, it's probably one of those movies that you would also <laughs> – Think is very predictable in terms of it being being
1: about heroin addiction. Yes, yeah, that's but yeah. It's still very good. I think that's why I haven't watched it. But uh, the only thing I really have against Good Time is that uh, Ben Softy plays a mentally disabled person, which is just like fuck that. Don't.
0: <sighs> yeah, I guess
1: I can see I can see that being a problem. I, I and I hate what I hate more than that is when people hedge their bets by being like, "Well, we haven't really." He hasn't been diagnosed. He's just you know like. Like, he's not, he doesn't technically have Down syndrome, so it's fine for a, norm, uh, a normal actor, uh, you, you know, uh, an, an able, able-minded able actor to play. And it's like, no, fuck that. Like, get people with disabilities to play people with disabilities, full yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's patronizing otherwise. So. Sure. But I, I really enjoyed Good Time a lot. Uh, my number 14 is Blade Runner 2049, which is just – I can't believe that they did it again. And, I mean, the only way they did it again was by doing something different, but – and it feels different, and the, the world feels different, and certainly the structure of the movie is different. But, like, I like Blade Runner mostly because it is just an absolutely gorgeous-looking and sounding movie that is super depressing. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it is, more the most, or less. it is the most beautiful bummer in, uh, in cinema history, and I watch it, and I feel bad. And this... I watched and I felt a lot of the same thing. My only problem with it was the sort of Force Awakens aspect where they're like, Oh, let's bring Harrison Ford back. And like Force Awakens, the movie fucking sucks from Harrison Ford on. Um I think I think they try to sell like some drama on the idea of his romance with uh what's her name from the first film? Yeah. Which is the most ridiculous thing ever because like that's not a love story. Like they and I don't know. I've I'd like to rewatch it because I think there might be some things that would make more sense. And I would, but I really thought it was a disappointment. And also, there were parts of it that felt like it was just setting up a sequel. Like all the stuff with the revolution and sure. like the fact that you never actually see anything happen. Like where uh, what's his name ends up. The who's the douchebag? Jared Leto. Like you never see where Jared Leto ends up. Right. But, like, yeah, I think the art direction of that movie is incredible. I think the sound is incredible. I think it looks amazing. I think it really captures a lot of the important stuff that made Blade Runner so great. Um, It just – it did feel like they were kind of hedging their bets as far as, like, let's tie this back into the mythology. And it's, like, suddenly these things that – The whole point of the first Blade Runner is that they're just – they just feel important, like, unimportant and like hopeless is like actually they're the most important thing because mm-hmm. they're from the movie you like. And that's the Force Awakens thing, which is just sucks to me. Uh my number thirteen, by the way, was Star Wars The Last Jedi, which I just Wow. It's the thing that I kind of always wanted a Star Wars movie to be, but I never ever had faith a million years Disney would make a movie like this. Um Definitely the best since Empire. Uh it was so much fun. I actually I like I like this more than Empire, but well, I don't like I don't like Empire very much. Oh, wow. Here's what I don't. Here's what I. Th- this might be say say something about why I like this movie. Uh, I hate the Force. I hate it. The Jedi as a religion. I hate every single moment Obi Wan huh. or Yoda says some half baked fortune cookie ass everything is connected bullshit. Like no fuck everything's connected. You dipshits. Like we've seen a movie before. Like. And then and there's just, like, long scenes in Empire Strikes Backwards. It's just Yoda whispering shit that, like, he might have read in a Chicken Soup for the Soul book. Like, yeah, or, like, Dalai Lama. Of, and I think the Force stuff. is kind of bullshit. And apparently Ryan Johnson agrees because The Last Jedi is about how the Force is kind of bullshit. Um, and everything that you take sacred about Star Wars is actually kind of bullshit. And these are just fun, ridiculous movies. And that's what they should be. Exactly. And I mean, I even
0: think Force Awakens I th- I did, was
1: just dumb fun and not. You no, know, I think Force Awakens was just choking on its like yeah, reverence well, for I, the I, for I, the original I, series. I
0: can understand that. I, I understand that feeling towards it. But like, I, there's
1: moments of it that are dumb fun. But like, yeah, again, like I said, the second Harrison Ford comes on that movie, it's just like it. All the energy sinks out mm-hmm. of it, and then it just becomes arbitrary. But um, this movie. I think it does err on the side of, like, it's too goofy. It's too broad. Like, the comedy's too broad. It is trying to Oh, the porgs! Silly. The cute little porgs. I like the porgs, but that makes me question everything I feel about this movie, because the porgs suck. I don't know why I like those <laughs> porgs. Those porgs feel like they're created in some fucking boardroom that came up with minions. Like, so they paid some marketing yeah. company to be like, actually, we've been focus testing these creatures for the past seven years, and porgs. Here you go put them on a fucking t-shirt sell them at target like yeah there's
0: going to be a there's going to be a, a a new show called porg and minions soon, yeah I'm i
1: sure. i yeah so but i even like the porgs the way they are in the movie um i do too i, I like i like that movie a lot i just uh, didn't like
0: the breast milk
1: i like that i like that bit too yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like what i like
1: i like a like, little weird i, I like that uh, i like that luke is not at all the same character from the original trilogy <laughs> he's yeah. just sort of like he has no sense of humor in those movies in those in that original trilogy, he is just sort of like the guy who's like, what's that flashing? Like he's just he's just sort of a wet behind the ears farm boy. But like in this, he's Mr. Jokes, Mr. Like, he has a quippy sort of put down for every situation. Mm. Um maybe that's what all of his Jedi training has been. It's actually been like an improv class. Uh at any rate, my number twelve is Ladybird, um, which is not predictable in the sense that you know every event of the movie, but predictable in that I already think Francis Ha and Mistress America are two of the best comedies of all time. And Indeed. Lady Bird is just – is another one of those. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't surprise me as much anymore. Um, but that's really my only complaint. Other than that, everything everyone has said about it is so beautiful and amazingly acted. Um, and the direction doesn't get in the way. <laughs> it's like, like yeah. yeah. But um, – I think Sersha Ronan does a really fucking good job of capturing uh Garwig's specific style of dialogue, which mm-hmm. not everyone can do. Um, but she I like I always thought you need Garwig to play those characters that she writes, but Sersha Ronan's like, oh actually, you know, maybe other people can do this. Prove me wrong. But um I I think that movie's just absolutely adorable um and heartfelt and wonderful, and I probably will and it's like we're in a weird period of time where it's like uh, a golden age of teen media because we had like that we had like Edge of Seventeen yeah had, which I loved we and... had uh, American Vandal which was an amazing Netflix series that's
0: true that's great
1: um, um and then the Thirteen Reasons Why which well, I didn't watch but yeah that one that one's not so good but at any rate like the average teen movie is way better than it's ever been. Um, Yeah, no, yeah, 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 totally. (laughs) Or at least movie about teens. Maybe you wouldn't call Lady Bird a quote-unquote teen movie the way you would call Clueless a teen movie. But um, actually, it's not that dissimilar from Clueless, and Clueless is fucking rad. So is Lady Bird. My number 11 is My Entire High School Sinking Into the Sea, directed by Dash Shaw. This is an animated Hmm. film that the entire thing has the sort of tossed-off look and feel of someone's doodles in the margin of their, like, math notebook. Like, it's very sketchy, the the animation is very limited. The colors are sort of runny. It looks like the sort of thing that might be like an adult swim show or something. But I think there's a specific sense of humor it has that is really good, um, hmm. to me at least. I, I don't. I can't promise it would hit everyone the same way. It's not necessarily deep or anything like that. But it is just a very spontaneous feeling. Like it felt like it was made up as it went along. Kind of crazy, surreal, high school comedy- with this really cool, neat art style and these really fun characters. It is just like a very pleasant thing. Um, and it looks unlike any other animated movie I've, I've personally seen.
0: I wonder if it's coming out in uh, any format. Anytime I'm soon. sure. I'm sure it is. I better find but it. But
1: that's my number 11. So that's my 25 through 11. Jim, why don't you go ahead and There will definitely
0: years. be titles that come up that you've heard already. Mm-hmm. And that's to be expected. Because, I mean, we didn't really say this up at the top because we we're, you know, trying to condense it a little bit. But... 2017 wasn't a strong year overall. I mean, it wasn't a bad, horrible year. So, and you know, some people feel that way, but it was just mostly very good movies. Mm-hmm. Nothing besides, you know, maybe two or three of my top picks were like all timers, masterpieces. Yeah, nothing
1: I nothing I saw this year. It's I would put in that category.
0: Yeah, it was just you know mostly, cons- you know, somewhat consistently good. Films, mm-hmm. but nothing
1: extraordinary. So I don't think this is going to be a year that goes down in history. No. Remember 2015? Oh, God. Remember 2015, though? Oh, man. Tangerine, Clouds of Sils Maria, Heart of a Dog. Remember 2013?
0: Yeah, 2013. Do you sure. remember Butler. 2013? That was a hell of a – yeah, because like – I think even you said about your list, these four movies are all-timers. These four movies change. Like, they challenged me. They made me think of movies mm-hmm. in a different way and blah, blah, blah. Like, you had to have four, you know, just – that's pretty special. Mm-hmm. You know, when they all challenge form and everything. But,
1: okay – We'll see. We'll see what, we'll see what 2018 I feel, happens. I, I almost feel like 2017, there was a disconnect, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later, but there was a disconnect between what was going on in the world True. and the films, where it felt like the films were the kind of movies we'd already been seeing, but it's like, D- don't you guys realize everything's changed? No one's talking about this. Like I felt I would go to the movies, and I'd be like, I just feel disconnected from them in a way. I... I that I never felt before. And I think that was because of the intensity of life outside of the theater.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as long as you're keeping up with what's going on in the news and politically speaking, you know, there was, there was some monumental tragedy going on to where movies became less important or at least they didn't have the same impact right. that they once did. Um, and I don't know if that's also indicative of a box office receipts. Like, I think this was a pretty weak year uh, in general. So I mean I don't know if this is just going to be a continuing trend as long as a
1: certain someone's in office, but we still
0: have I'm some. I'm not great going to blame. I know
1: I know, I, know. I, <laughs> I. Donald Trump is a giant piece of shit, but I'm not going to blame him for the fall of uh, cinema. <laughs> no, I, I just want to blame him for everything. Yeah, that's fair.
0: Okay, so 25 for me. I know it's a bit low. It might even be in your top 10, um, but I, I guess I guess I need to you know also think of this more. Um, as less of a movie where you have to be emotionally invested uh Dunkirk is nine, number twenty five mm-hmm. and uh you know a lot of people are putting it higher or a lot of people just shrug off Christopher Nolan entirely sure. because of his tendency to not make it about the the characters on screen i still ha I still cared about what happens to tom hardy i don 't need to know like about his family back home to get invested in him, but it is more. Of, like I mentioned, a silent film, um, a technical uh, sort of experience where you just kind of watch it and let it sink into you, and Mm -hmm. you really get caught up on a scene to scene basis. I'm not sure if the, you might feel differently, but I'm not sure how I feel. About the structure of it entirely, with the with the different t- with the choices to have it play in different time. Settings. We
1: will be talking about it later. Okay,
0: okay, okay. Um, but I still think it's a great <laughs> Christopher Nolan movie. Sure. And uh, you know, most Christopher Nolan movies do you know work for me unless there's a a Batman in it. But uh, we'll see. If, you know, I'm 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 always excited for Christopher Nolan because he's at least making quality escapist entertainment that isn't dumbed down that you can get behind and. This is an example of uh, you know him at his best in terms of craft. Twenty-four is um, a film called Wonderstruck
1: that I I think re- I did not see Wonderstruck. It, I forgot it, to mention that it got
0: slammed mostly. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and if not slammed, then ignored.
1: Slam. Uh, but da da, but da da, but da da. Wh- wh- Slam. Oh, okay. Honest? <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. I haven't thought of Onyx in a long <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, it, was no, like, it took me Fair a enough. Okay. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Go ahead.
0: Um, Todd Haynes, he's one of my favorite directors, and uh, this is not on, like, on the level of Carol or Safe or um, Velvet Goldmine. I mean, most of his films, but... I did think it was really interesting because maybe it was low expectations. Maybe it was like, oh gosh, this 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 is the source material comes from the guy who wrote Hugo and I wasn't crazy about Hugo. So there was a lot going into this where I was just kind of like Todd Haynes doing a, essentially a children's movie, uh and <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised by it. I thought it was really magical and wonderful and again, very uh formalistically interesting and in that he plays with uh structure in a way that I think is similar to "I'm Not There," uh, where you know the half of the movie is kind of a homage to silent cinema, and takes place at a different time period, and another half is more of the Hugo, you know, lonely boy that feels kind of isolated from the world, trying to find a connection.
1: So that's also like a poison. Does that as well? Yeah, 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 totally.
0: So, well, yeah, like I said, it originates from a story from the writer of Hugo, and it does have that feel to it. I mean, it's fantastical to some degree, but I thought it was just, you know, a really humane story about childhood and escaping to other worlds and finding solace in cinema. Uh, but it's also just really well done and kind of told in an unconventional way. So, I think, uh, I think you know, along with Coco, like, both, both of these movies really surprised me in terms of uh, just g- Working for me, because, like, I, I, I'm i not in the same level as you are with, like, I don't think kids' movies are worth a damn once I'm older or whatever, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I, I think that Wonderstruck is very special, and if you're a Todd Haynes fan, I think you will find a lot to appreciate. Um, he's a fantastic filmmaker. Number 23, again, is probably higher on your list, and maybe it should be higher on my list, is Get Out. Um, I really love it. Maybe it should be higher up, like I said, but... um. In terms of things, how things play out, maybe I guess the element of surprise wasn't necessarily there for me. Uh, I think the overall message, the timeliness, the the writing, the acting—nearly everything about it is great. It does like the Twilight Zone kind of feel, but makes it sociologically relevant and uh, very, very smart. I just I think the the the, the blind the blind man element. And his kind of intent for for wanting uh, our protagonist, I don't know if that just worked for me as as well as everything else did. Like once that revelation kicks in, I was kind of like, really? That's what it comes down to?
1: Mm-hmm. You're going to talk about more of I'm going to talk okay, about um,
0: it later. 22 is John Wick Chapter 2, which again, I don't know if we'll talk about some more.
1: We will talk more about John okay. Wick Chapter uh, 2 later.
0: This was also um, – my first 4K UHD experience. Um, I didn't even realize the correlation, and it's kind of silly, nerdy thing to bring up. But um, my first DVD was The Matrix. And, you know, I kind of just said, well, I have to make it my first DVD. And with this, it was really just like, oh, John Wick Chapter 2 came out this year. I should catch up with it. And I bought it. Uh, it was on sale. I watched it, and I was floored. I was floored by the action sequences, especially the opening. But then, at one point, Lawrence Fishburne shows up, and I'm like, "Whoa, that's crazy!" This is my first 4K UHD experience on my nice new TV, and I'm I'm feeling that same euphoria that I had when I first watched a the DVD. They probably did it for you.
1: I know. Isn't that's that probably weird? why they did? They probably why they put Lawrence Fishburne in there is because like, what, I, why do we give you know it's been a hard year? Why don't we give Jim a treat? I know.
0: It was a treat. The whole movie's a treat. Oh, yeah. You know? I, I quite liked it a lot. Um, number 21. I actually don't know what you think of this movie. Uh, the Black Coat's Daughter?
1: That is my number 34.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan of this director. Again, he sort of creates these this abstract surrealism in a very, like, Shadowy, dark way that you know not everything is spelled out, and I love that about it it's more about dread and atmosphere and just creating tension within the viewer, and you're not able to piece everything together um in the same- you know that's more the case with I am the pretty thing that lives inside the house. I think maybe this one does have a conclusion that might be a little more predictable or at least you know it has the twist, I guess maybe, but I still thought it was incredibly well directed and well acted. Um, I liked all these actresses in, in this film, um, and I just
1: again, it's a creepy movie. It's just creepy. Uh, so, I, and I like the setting too. I so. really like Oz Perkins' thing. I hope I hope he keeps keeps going because I really yeah, like me Oz too. Perkins' thing. Me
0: too. Me too. For sure. For sure. Number twenty. We talked about it. It's good time. It's uh, you know um, after I'd seen. Well, this probably should have Bill's probably kicking me, but um seeing After Hours in New York <laughs> is probably the best one of the best experiences I've had all year. Um you know, and Griffin Dunn was in attendance and it was a wonderful screening and um the the host of this After Hours screening was Josh Safdie. And I talked to him about how I can't wait to see his movie and he said, "Well, I think you'll you'll notice a, a little a, a a comparison or at least a little homage here and there." With uh, after hours, sure, and uh, yeah, there's actually a music cue in Good Time that just is kind of lifted directly oh, really? from After Hours. Yeah, um, so yeah, Good Time is just kind of like uh, an after hours for this generation, and it works very well. Uh, I think Robert Pattinson is way better in this than he has in the Cronenberg movies. I think it's uh, a clear indication that he has range.
1: It's more exciting. Yes, at the very, I like I like him in Cosmopolis quite a bit, but. Huh. Um, but I think that's a very specific thing he is doing in Cosmopolis. He's not yeah. being natural. This I like, is very natural. I, I like watching him get a prostate exam, but
0: um, I think... Uh, I think as,
1: as a presence in Cosmopolis, I think he really works. But, like, I agree. This is more exciting and more yes, fun to watch. Yes,
0: for sure. Uh, and I, I, agree, I agree with your um, assessment maybe about the about the brother playing that part. Uh, that's, that's pro- yeah, that's probably the only thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, number 19 was Blade Runner 2049. One that I need to see again to see, you know, if it's as satisfying as a repeat experience. I imagine it could very well be because my experience with Blade Runner, the first film, was, uh, it was fine. I liked it. It was beautifully shot, but I just, I guess I I didn't feel anything watching it uh, the first time. And I wouldn't say that's the case with the sequel, but... I just didn't, like, feel that oof. <laughs>
1: like Blade Runner is not a the feeling movie.
0: No, it's not. And I know there's, like, another sort of confrontation with the villain that plays out towards the end of this film that I was just kind of, like, shrugging off, more or less. Yeah. And then even the final moment where we realize how this is all pieced together, I was just kind of like, really? Okay. That's the note you want to end on? Okay. You know, so maybe if I watch it again and just sort of now that I have everything in mind as to how it's going to play out, maybe it'll be stronger for me. Mm -hmm. But as a visual spectacle, they're they're just this and Dunkirk, of course, seeing both in IMAX really helped Um, were were, were some of the best movie going experiences I had. Um, Number 18 is Mother. Fantastic. Uh, Claustrophobic uh, really good use of the shaky cam to where I didn't feel it was like jarring and you know I, I I would say it glides more and even when there is that sort of shaky element to it, it's appropriate because he's creating anxiety, both in the the lead character and in us. So I just think I, I, I Darren Aronofsky, yes, he might be kind of might be kind of pretentious, but I think in a very endearing way. Maybe a touch, maybe just maybe a little bit. But, you know, hey, the acting is great. The ideas and themes are very interesting. I mean, I didn't like the fact that he sort of came out and tried to spell it out for people (laughs) because I think it really should just happen to the viewer organically and not have the director spell it out for you. I don't know if this is profound. Like you said, I don't know if it has anything amazing to say at the end of the day, but it is a really um, incredible experience and it's divisive for a very good reason. And I think people continue to debate it the more they see it. Uh 17 is Baby Driver, uh a movie that you know people seem to do, to do think less of in the world of Edgar Wright and I understand that but I found it to be just really joyful. Um I wish that the initial high I had especially with the opening credits was sustained for for the entire film. I mean, there are action sequences in here that certainly made me feel um you know ecstatic and just like is he's one. He's a great action director. I'm really enjoying this and the great use of music. It's everything I would want. But once the climax sets in and just becomes like a confrontation between him and John Hamm and Cars, I'm kind of like, mm. not as involved or as thrilled with it. But the way this film opens is fantastic. And to the, I, I think I think that, I think Baby's a, an okay character. I mean, like, is he I, a
1: character? Does I mean, he have like, like, like a the, single personality trait? Does Ryan O'Neill in The Driver or even Ryan Gosling in Drive? That's the point of those movies is that they're ciphers and that they don't they, have humanity. That's uh, not baby in this movie. This movie is about their... Well, like, yeah, he does have humanity because he lost his parent and... And he has a romance and he's like has a cool relationship with his grandfather and he's like Mr. Cool Music Man and he's like quirky weirdo guy. Like, yeah, like... I didn't mind it. No, no, I know, I know you did I'm just, I'm just saying, like... They're, the Drive uh, drive, and The Driver are doing extremely different things. Okay.
0: Okay. Yeah. But it's, it's it's Edgar Wright's version of those movies, I think. I think that was his intention anyway. Well, I mean, it's clearly not Walter Hill's version of those movies.
1: No, I understand <laughs> that. I understand Edgar Wright was the writer and director. Yeah.
0: But I just, you know, I, I think he was paying homage to that. And just like making a good chase picture, overall, I you know? I I agree. It's a, it's a I think
1: s- by paying homage to those characters without the accompanying structure that supports those characters was a poor decision. Mm, okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, number sixteen is a ghost story. A uh, second viewing kind really? of bu- it kind of bumped it up for me a little bit more. Really, uh, it has it has it has originality going for that it. That is my
1: number forty one. Wow, I think low, that movie that is it's of the movies I think are all right. That is one of the worst ones. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that is that is, I, that is almost into bad territory for me. I think it's only bad when Will Oldham speaks. But that, that is such, an, such a that's such big a big moment. In it's that a movie. big long
0: moment that is sinks it a little bit more. Like there are people putting this in their top five, and that's fine. No, I understand. I, but I'm, I'm, like, to, I'm I, it's just, I just me and you in this room. Buddy. I know, but it's like as a visual experience again, like almost like a silent film mm-hmm. as he's gliding through and. What it has to say about the passage of time is kind of similar to how Linkletter th- thinks of time and just almost like a nonlinear um, – but yet, yet like we're, we're sort of slaves
1: to it. Why does he time. go back in time? I don't know. He falls <laughs> off the building and he goes back in time. Why does he stay where the vacant lot is for hundreds of years? I don't think he's
0: allowed to leave. Or I mean, I, I think he's—he th- th- he doesn't. It's, 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 he,
1: doesn't start, he doesn't wake up there. It's not Beetlejuice rules. It's mentioned
0: or, w- at you know where he, where they're talking about like how he he has such inv- uh, like an emotional investment in this house, and then the house is destroyed, and he stays
1: there for two centuries. Why does he stay there? That's a good question.
0: For me, I think a he's, ghost he's, story- he's
1: observant, like he's
0: passively observant. I think, isn't he?
1: Throughout the you're entire just, past, just, past You're not answering time. my question. You're just describing him. Yes, he is constantly <laughs> observant. Why does he stay there? I don't know. That's a good um, question. I felt that the rules of the movie were super dumb and arbitrary. I thought that Will Oldham's speech was fucking the worst thing I'd seen in a movie maybe all year. Uh, well, no, that's not true because well, I saw Psychopaths and Bye Bye Man. But, it was unnecessary. Uh, no, <laughs> unnecessary does not be good to describe it. But also um, the the rules of unfinished business – are the most obvious, like, clear thing. It's like, yes, it's a ghost story. It's unfinished business. So I knew exactly how the movie was going to end from the moment she went away and he started going at the wall. I knew everything that was going to happen. I didn't think he'd go back in time, but that was a terrible thing. But like, He went forward in time. No, he didn't. He waited. We're all going forward in time, but he doesn't jump forward in time. I, time is a really weird thing in this movie. If if time <laughs> was meant to be non-linear, it would be expressed non-linearly in the film. But, but it's he's only just around, one loop. He doesn't jump back and forth. If he could jump back like and it, forth, then he would go back to when she was there. I feel like he they he he, he's, he
0: observes
1: um, there's moments jump, of their relationship, right, but only forward until he gets to the beginning until the settlers, and then it goes forward again. Yeah, but like.
0: It might be just a mental, cho- like a mental projection of on his part. I don't know. I don't know why he would choose to actually go back in time and see how this
1: house was built. Well, let's by forget the about his choice because he's just a he's just a blank cheat. Why did the director choose that?
0: Mm, that's a good question. I need to think about that.
1: Yeah, that movie. I don't, really I don't mind. it don't mind that it has looking. those questions, though. I think that's interesting. Why is that interesting to you, though? That's my I, question. I guess like, it, when you're pondering it, what are the possibilities that are interesting to you?
0: Well, I mean, to me, I I find it just like the act of asking these questions of why why this choice is interesting, and I think that you know him as a director. It's very similar to what Richard Linklater does in, in some of his films, and particularly when he talks about time... You're and saying David
1: alive. Lowry as a director is similar to Richard Linklater as a director. This film that is mostly a silent film is well, similar to Well, I mean, in terms Richard- of the
0: questions, thematic questions about why is t- why do we perceive time this way? Is that
1: really something that... I... I I know you saw that video essay that everyone saw about time and Richard Linkletter, but I really don't think that's one of the key things about Richard Linkletter's work. And more importantly, Richard Linkletter does not explore it in that way. Richard Linkletter is more talking about the idea of memory and passage of time. He's not yeah. talking about the non-linearity of time. He's not talking about people going back in time and forth in time arbitrarily.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't understand the the nature or the rules of it in this film in terms of suddenly... You know, uh, the, the the people that inhabit the house are completely gone, and then there's a party going on, and uh, well, then that, the party's makes, over. No, that makes
1: perfect sense. That's just jumping forward in time. They're just jump cuts.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, is he actively
1: choosing to – I mean, he's just there. No, we just – the movie can't be 700 years long, so <laughs> yeah, so Lowry makes choices. But it's clear that he's there the entire time.
0: Right it doesn't bother me I think it's interesting okay
1: fair enough we got a lot to talk about I'm, so, I'm sorry I shouldn't have uh, dried. I just man I was like so hot on a ghost story for the first 15 minutes and then as it went on and on I was I just felt the, the earth sinking under me I really did not like that film I kind I do think it's really good looking and I do it's think it's very good its use of, uh, of uh, the academy ratio is very yeah. good and it's so. also got a great score I didn't like the score, but oh. I thought that was one of the things that really bummed me out about it. It was like, all right, if you're gonna do this sort of slow cinema, ambiguous, lots of questions thing, why is the score constantly blaring about like just leave the score button alone. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know how directors have a score button? No, but like my it just, score it button's hits bigger score than yours score all the time. It's every scene is just like drenched in it in a way that it's just like, All right, we get it. Stop, please. Yeah, I know. Alright, go ahead. Sorry. Meyerwitz stories. Which is your number fifteen. Okay.
0: Uh I think I think it is one of Noah Baumbach's most satisfying films. And you know, there's certain there's certain moments, especially with like Adam Sandler and his daughter, that I just thought were really really poignant and really well observed, and them collaborating on a song together is really sweet, but also not like schmaltzy or or you know, kind of overly sentimental. It's still you know, it's still Noah Baumbach playing in the Squid and the Whale ballpark, but, you know, yeah, a lot of these characters are narcissistic, but I just think he does it in a way that, you know, I think it's a little more accessible this time, and I I I didn't mind that. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it is predictable. Maybe the only thing that didn't sit well with me was, like, the daughter's films that she's making in college. Mm-hmm. I'm
1: like. I liked, I thought
0: those were. Fine. I've seen student films. Okay. Maybe that's why. I was just like, is that what they're doing in in film school? I don't know. Anyway. They're doing what
1: the students choose to make in film school.
0: That's true. It's an interesting choice that she would choose to make those types of films. Um, But anyway, I loved it. Mm -hmm. Almost beat for beat. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing nothing poor to say about it. Uh, 14 is a film that you didn't like as well. So you can feel free to scream all you want. These okay. are soundproof. This is right, room is cool.
1: soundproof. Cool. I'm going to back away from the mic a little bit so I can get the full volume of my voice going. All right, go ahead.
0: Number 14 on my list is a film called Colossal.
1: At least it's not your top 10. I mean, Jesus <laughs> Christ, if it was in your top 10, you'd really hear it from What's me. It, but that what, movie's bad. But go ahead. That
0: movie's it, worse it than it
1: Why is it bad? That movie's bad because it's trying to be about, like... Addiction, except the, the Co-dependence. metaphor of the monster has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. The reason she knocks over a building is because she happens to be in that one arbitrary spot. If she was doing yoga, like if she was like, I'm going to go do... If she was like super put together in health health nut, and she's like, I'm going to go to yoga in the park, she would have knocked over more buildings. That's true. Alternatively, if when, what's his name, offered her coke, like if they had stayed out all night doing coke and she ended up like fucking him at Baggins' apartment... No buildings would be knocked over. Mm-hmm. That the the high concept has nothing to do with the themes. It's entirely incoherent. On top of that, Jason Sudeikis' character is completely unbelievable, like passive aggressive asshole who gets really. Uh, controlling and shitty is very believable but then it's like oh also he's a mass murderer and that's cool and it's like his friends not saying anything about him being passive aggressive that makes sense but like his friends not trying to stop him from murdering thousands of people that's ridiculous and stupid Uh, also these monsters have been appearing like clockwork for what two weeks over the course of the film one week um, they've appeared the exact same time, exact same place every day, and it keeps showing the Koreans going, oh my god, it's a monster! Like, at no point are they like, alright, we need to leave this section of Seoul. Like, that final <laughs> scene at the end where she, like, goes to Korea to, like, be, to become the monster on the other end or whatever, like, there should be no one there. It should be, she should be having to pass by, like, military checkpoints like, it, it, like the people of Korea must be the dumbest people on Earth if they are not, like, seeing the pattern here.
0: I guess I just didn't think of those things in terms of logic. And it makes sense when you're saying them.
1: <laughs> but I guess like as I'm nonsense. watching that... That movie's nonsense.
0: I guess it's... I, I still like what it has to say about, you know, codependence and alcoholism. And just, like, trying to break away from, you know, the toxic masculinity of... And even his insecurity is just kind of si- sickening to me. Yeah,
1: but that, like, yeah, for me, that's all separate from the, Yeah, I could see that being a problem. It's like they're entirely separated I think I do like that Jason Sudeikis just gets to play, like, a super asshole because I think he's kind of a creep anyway. Yeah, any I've always movie, kind of thought that, too. Any yeah. movie where he's not playing, like, someone you're supposed to dislike, I am always feel weird. Yeah. I'm like, why are we watching, like, why are we supposed to be rooting for this guy? This guy seems like an ass. Yeah, and, like, the pretty boyfriend
0: that he has that she winds up doing stuff with is kind of just, I don't know. He he's so passive and he, does, he hardly does, has any agency or does anything of worth w- worthwhile. Mm-hmm. But I think it 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 worked on me as an emotional experience. Like I was rooting for her to overcome her demons and break away from
1: this asshole. I I think I would have been able to invest in it if it wasn't distracting me with this other entirely insane thing and then not bothering like. It's so artificially constructed. You might as well artificially construct it in a way that makes sense with the other story. Mm. But the fact that it didn't was driving me fucking insane. Okay,
0: I can see that.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think Anne Hathaway pretty good in it. No, she's very good. Yeah, yeah.
0: go ahead. Uh, thirteen is a movie you did like. Call me by your name. Uh, I, you know, again, like I, I think that th- both of these films are in a lot of people's top five. My thirteen and twelve. But I I do take to heart a little bit of what you're saying about them kind of being predictable, maybe ordinary, or at least not, not necessarily ordinary. I, I, I just stories that have been told a lot. And
1: I will say this. Mainstream audiences don't see gay movies yeah, yeah, unless yeah, yeah. it has the cosine of straight audiences and straight critics. Mm-hmm. These gay movies are still getting made. They're just playing at film festivals that these critics don't go to and that aren't getting talked up. This movie is not unusual. This movie is unusual in how well it's made, partially because it has more money than any of those other films. So, like, you know, they can get actors like Arnie Hammer and they can, like, they can adapt. They can, like, get the rights to this novel and stuff like that. But, like, gay movies are out there. And, like, people, it's like people last year who thought Moonlight was an original film. Like, Moonlight's a really cool movie, and structurally it's very interesting. But, like, people who thought, like, oh, finally, a movie about gay black men and masculinity, like, nope, that's been done forever. That's 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 a common theme. Like, there's yeah. plenty, like, in that year, in 2016, there were, like, three other movies that were the same thing. But those movies had, like, a tenth of the budget and played at festivals where mainstream critics didn't go. So I just want to say like as a queer person like the thing that can I really do like call me by your name, the thing that can drive me a little crazy about the praise for these kinds of movies is it can feel like straight people being like it's so good that there's a gay movie that's finally about this and yeah. that is completely misguided. But I yeah. do, I do I'm not I'm not even arguing see, No against I can this movie. no I can
0: see that. I just wanted to bring argument. this up.
1: And I guess that is... people that, don't watch gay movies. There's a whole section on, 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 letter, on Netflix people never go to because straight people... It's like out and out. Straight people don't like gay sex. They do... Like, that's why this movie has the camera panning away and fading to black, like... Do you think the that's sexy. the case of the... Do you
0: think that's the case with Brobeck Mountain? Is that why it was sort of elevated? Yeah. Because, like, people, I saw it and I was like, the, that is a fine movie. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> but is it
1: really like this, you know... People think, finally because these are made by straight filmmakers. I don't know, I actually don't know Luda what's his name. I think he's I
0: think he's gay. I thought this was a very personal general, autobiographical kind of story. That
1: get, and and I also don't even know about uh, Barry Jenkins who made Moonlight. He might he might be queer as well. But in general, the kind of gay movies that get elevated are made by straight people with straight sensibilities and downplay the the things about gay life that are make that straight people uncomfortable. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um, and i think see, i don 't getting- mind
0: i don't mind being uncomfortable and i also don't i want see like this you know to get a little personal is just recently like I had to go to an event where it was just your average white guy from l a giving this presentation almost like a motivational speech to a bunch of people, and I kind of went after a while i 'm not i 'm not buying your struggles I want to hear you know minorities I want to hear different people telling me stories because his story is the same thing I've heard a million times and I'm tired of that I want to hear other walks of life I want to hear other people that have been through something that maybe I can't identify with but can still empathize with and learn from essentially and you know I that that might happen with you know a movie like this too to some degree but it's also a movie about a, a very well told movie about insane passionate love at a very vulnerable vulnerable age, and you know I I you know I felt that of course so you know like I didn't have any issues with it I think you know th- certainly by the end with the monologue that Michael Stubar g- gives is phenomenal it's great yeah yeah
1: yeah no I. I I don't want anyone... Because, obviously, it was was, uh, on my top 25 as well. I don't want anyone to misconstrue my uh, impassioned uh, feelings uh, as not being into Call Me By Your Name. But, in general, I was very skeptical of Call Me By Your Name before I saw it because I've just been through this with... Mm. Like, when mainstream film critics start championing gay movie, it often falls into this sort of thing. And I think that is getting better. It's, uh, I think... I mean, I do think Moonlight is a genuinely good and interesting movie that does things differently, but the themes are not the thing it does differently. Yeah. Yeah. And like... Yeah.
0: I, I, I would I would agree with that. So
1: anyway. Anyway, Call Me By Your Name I mean, is good. Cool e-
0: even last year, I was a little frustrated at like, yeah, Moonlight is good and La La Land is fine, but people, calm down. <laughs> you know? I mean, like the, the reason why Camera Person was my number one film is because I hadn't seen that movie before. And it's also, you know, from a perspective of somebody that, you know, we're not – we don't get to have that experience or from that perspective as much, and we should. We should have more films from women and minorities and all sorts of different cultures because they, they, they stand out, but mm-hmm. hopefully we learn something from yeah,
1: them. Yeah, I mean I would also say like to center the idea of like I want more films – I, I like the idea of films by marginalized groups being there to teach. Yeah, majority I guess you right. You're right. Also, yeah, not yeah. like that's not it could, why it, it could, exists. It could be condescending. Like there's there's plenty of black movies that came out this year that white critics had no need for, but black audiences saw what they got, what they needed from them. Like yeah. like Girl Trip isn't on either of our lists, but that movie that movie was a big hit and like that movie spoke to people. And
0: oh yeah, yeah, no, that's know, fine. Like,
1: those movies are just as, as vital and valid, you know, as as whatever else you know
0: right but right. yeah I
1: understand I understand what you're saying like yeah I'm not I'm trying to be talking s- a little bit about this later with one of my top 10 films mm-hmm. um, but sorry. yeah
0: so call me by my name pretty is it, great I, I, I'm sorry <laughs> uh, I 12 is Lady Bird shirt. which you yeah. know again everybody knows why it's so great mm-hmm. I don't need to go on and on about it right. it's Greta Gerwig I've, yeah. I've loved everything she's written
1: it's uh, one of the most pleasurable movies I've seen in a while but all of its pleasures are right there on the surface yeah
0: yeah, you know, and, I, and I'm hoping this also leads to more work for uh, Lori Metcalf because
1: uh, oh, I think she is more of a theater person now.
0: Yeah, I, and that that makes sense. And honestly, like you know, last year one of the best at pieces of acting I saw was was her giving like a 20 minute monologue in an episode of Horace and Pete. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I think she's she's great. Sierra Ronan's great, and Tracy Letts also. You know, he's good in The Post and this and. I know you weren't crazy about the lovers, but I think he's a really interesting actor in general. No, yeah, no, he's
1: he's a good actor. Yeah. I I don't think his role in Lady is particularly interesting, but I think more the fact that his role is so minimalized is the thing that makes Lady Bird interesting. But I wouldn't yeah. necessarily say like exhi- exhibit A for Tracy Letts is a great actor, Lady Bird. Like I wouldn't do that. I just
0: think I think both both parents in this felt like fully realized yes. parents Absolutely. that I know. <laughs>
1: fully realized is the phrase that I would use for pretty much every aspect of Lady Bird.
0: And number 11 is Lucky, mm-hmm. um, a film that – Didn't
1: make your top ten.
0: No, I just – okay. I, I, there's some rewatches that kind of bumped things up or lowered them a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I mean, again, like when you see Lucky in the context of uh, Harry Dean Stanton just passed away – And you're seeing it at the music box, it's a big event. John Carroll Lynch is there. I mean it does elevate it. And I I I I can I can say that, you know, what what you said about it, you know, being kind of flat in terms of its direction, I Mm -hmm. understand that. I think that's true. I mean he's just point the camera and shoot. Not a whole lot of, you know. Uh, there's certainly not any kind of Inventors like cinematography No, here, no
1: but, um, I was I was actually surprised it didn't go for Because I feel like maybe Mrs., Just my misconstruing it I thought it's reputation was that it was like This love letter to Paris, Texas But it really is nothing like no, Paris, Texas It's, it's a love just, letter to Harry Dean Yeah, it's just the only other movie that he's the lead of
0: yeah. yeah, I guess that's true I feel like there's gotta be more movies With him as the lead, but I think you're right He's always been a supporting character actor mm-hmm. But he's great, and this is a great swan song, and I really love David Lynch in this, too. He's cute <laughs> with his tortoise. So, yeah, Patrick, we did it. We did it. So, uh, let's read a couple of more lists. Actually, let's take a break. I don't know if you heard, but... Uh... Jim and Patrick, then, need a break. So give them a break, and uh, we'll be right back. Please stay tuned for part two of the Best of uh, 2017 Retrospective for Directors Club Podcast. Give me
1: a break. Now I know what it takes. i